what really gets my dick hard is What's going on, Metallica nerds? I'm Brad Lyons. And I'm Brad Blazek. The Brads from Single Podcast Theory. And you are listening to Metal Up Your Podcast. Welcome to Metal Your Podcast. I'm Ethan Luck. And I'm Clint Wells. And this is episode number 86. And we are talking about the year 1988 and uh, another one of our Year in the Life of Metallica series. You sounded like a scholar just for... <laughs> 1988. The year was 1988. Ooh, the year, see, it was 1988. It was a brilliant year, mate. Right. Right. We were, we were putting a shrimp on the barbie about then. <laughs> putting the shrimp on the barbie in, in, in England. In England. <laughs> yeah, mate. We do that down, down under, too. Hey, it's not bad. Drink a bunch of Fosters. We are doing a... We're covering every year in the existence of Metallica. And what I wrote today on Twitter, which I was proud of this little dark poetry, excruciating, bone-crushing detail. Bone-crushing. The detail will crush and pulverize your goddamn bones. Speaking of crushing bones, we have a special guest today. Brad Lyons, once again, Whoa. is joining us from... <laughs> we've back. talked about it forever, Single Podcast Theory, our yeah. favorite and the only really Pearl Jam podcast. True. The only one, yeah. Hi, guys. Hey, man. Brad Welcome. the Bone Crusher. Brad the Bone Crusher. You know what? I've known Brad for a long time, and that's literally what we've called always him. called me that. Bone Crusher. Always called me Oh, yeah. When I first met Brad, when I first moved to Nashville. <laughs> was he crushing some bones? Was, oh, my God, dude. <laughs> so many bones. There was this crushed. old bar called The Greenhouse, and I walked in. Tony Lucido was there. Oh, Chris Beatty. I walked in, and Brad was over there. Had some dude's arm ripped off, just literally crushing bones <laughs> down to a fine powder. Was he crushing? Inside the skin. It was well, yeah, That was oh, the crazy yeah, part. Yeah, yeah, it wasn't even like off. Right. So, uh, anyways, yeah, that's when we became friends. <laughs> when he shook out the, the flaccid skin, it was like a pulverized cue right. ball. Is that what you're telling me? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> okay, cool. Yeah, and it wasn't until uh, you started this podcast, uh, the Pro Jam podcast, Single Podcast Theory, that I knew his actual name. <laughs> you you just referred just to him by what you believed his first name, which was Bone. Yeah. Well, crusher. Well, yeah. no, because Tony Lucido was the bone, and I was the bone crusher. Okay, cool. Yeah. There was a whole bone posse. See, I yeah. originally thought the podcast was like, welcome to Single Podcast 3, I'm Brad Blazik, I'm the bone crusher. <laughs> Turns out, it's Brad Lyons. <laughs> this is the weirdest intro of myself I've it's ever been part good. of, but I love it. Yeah, yeah. Um, right. So the bone crusher's here. So Brad's in town because this is like a t- two worlds colliding yeah. moment, because... You were starting like a brief tour with my homie, our our friend Elise Davis, who is uh, one of my best friends in town and a big songwriter partner of mine. And you guys are going to do some shows in Texas. Yes. Because oh, for those of you who don't know, good grief, where am I? Where are my manners, Ethan? Where are they, Clint? Brad is based in Birmingham. He's my best friend on the planet, and he is a producer, and he's also a wonderful guitar player. So when he's not making records or writing songs, he's also playing guitar. Yeah, man. So much guitar. Which is Australian for guitar. That's <laughs> right, man. <laughs> yeah, we call it a stringy box. So anytime, so anytime Brad's in town saying, hey, what are we going to do later? Is there any time to hang out? If we're already doing the show, may as well have someone come hang out and Why talk not? about it. He yeah. also happens to be a huge Metallica fan. Right, right? and everyone listening like loves when we have guests, whether it's Paul. Paul? Paul. Hold on. Hold on. <laughs> God. Paul. I wasn't planning on this. Hold on. Paul? Paul? He's not here. Wow. 
I just put a show with Paul the other night, and he's still he's not here. This is crazy. I have a serious Paul question. I'm sorry, and it's okay. a tangent. I'm the guest. I apologize. Are you going to ask if he's here? He's not. It's two Paul? Questions. two questions. <laughs> I heard did he cut his dreads off. No, no, he did not. Oh no! I also heard Blazik proliferating the ru- the deadly rumor. The, the, he the, pulls it back, and he's the, got yeah. the Skrillex kind of shaved sides. Uh, I'm okay, sorry, cool. he has the Jason Newstead shaved oh, sides. Oh, yeah. excuse me. The, that's definitely a better, okay. more much better than Skrillex. No, he posted that sad. photo on Instagram. It was like his like very sentimental. Like I've been in Nashville 20 years. Thanks everybody for these you know great years of music. It was kind and of producing. about cut my hair post. It looked like he cut his hair because uh, it was okay. like it was like let's move on to the, you know forward to the future, and the way he had his dreads tied back, it looked like he just cut them off and that was it. Had that kind of like combat rock, the Clash era Joe Strummer look. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I even thought he cut him off, and then I was like, nah, I don't think Paul would do that. Just no, like, it made me sad, and because I didn't see a pic. I've taken myself off social media at least temporarily for right. a while or whatever. And then Brad, yeah, it was Brad that told me, hey, do you know Paul cut his dreads? I was like, no, <laughs> what the. So I'm no, glad, I glad, I'm glad a, it's just a rumor. Did you have a follow-up question about Paul? Nope, I'm sorry. Oh, I thought you said you had a few Well, no, you said, never mind. <laughs> you just want to call out for Paul, don't you? you, want, you Brad, do you want to see if he's here? Well, you guys see if Paul's here, please. No, well, you hold see on, if he's here. On, We've already hold checked. On, hold, hold on a second. On. I think it's... <laughs> Paul! Paul! Just waking up my wife. Paul! <laughs> my no wife's going to wake up tomorrow morning and be like... Yeah, I, I slept lo- great until someone started yelling Paul. Paul through the kitchen door. Yeah. Uh, like it's the first. I love exactly. how long you guys will let this ride, the Paul thing. Well, ride. it's got some, it's got some I'm serious, serious. I love, so I part, love part of the show. <laughs> yeah. Do I you know how many emails we get where people end it like, Paul? It is a part of the fabric <laughs> of the show. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, and just to wrap this part, <laughs> the Paul <laughs> just to wrap up. the first segment up. <laughs> One of the, a, a treat for us today, because we are going to be talking about 1988 in excruciating bone-crushing detail, and uh, and Justice for All is Brad, if I'm not wrong, it's your favorite Metallica record. Favorite. Yeah. It's oh, Ethan yeah. and I's second favorite. Correct, yeah. So, uh, monumental turning point for the, I mean, a, a band with lots of turning points. Oh, man. This is just one of them. Oh. How insightful was that? Uh, the the insightfulest. Now, if you're joining us for the first time and you don't know what all this Paul bullshit is and you, you don't understand anything, <laughs> then back up and listen to episode you one. You may want to back up. Uh, these are all inside jokes. However, mostly what we do is we're an all Metallica podcast. Ethan and I are two professional touring musicians who get together once a week to talk about our favorite metal band of all goddamn time, the mighty Metallica. I can't think of a better metal band, and I can think of lots of good ones. Yeah, but they're my favorite. I I can't. I mean, yeah. I wouldn't be fit to be the host of the show if I didn't believe that, right? I mean, I know that I could not, as much as I love um, Anthrax. Mm-hmm. You know, we got to be honest, I don't right? know if I could do an Anthrax podcast. Yeah, totally. Or could I? It'd be the first one. Do you? Do I? Is it? <laughs> maybe, I, I mean, I, I would feel comfortable maybe doing a big four podcast. Well, we're going to do that. We're going to, we've talked about doing yeah, we'll a we'll dive uh, into that. We've talked about doing a series uh, on the show called Metal Beer Podcast Explores the Big Four. Right. Where we highlight a record from the Big Four, including old Bud Holmestain. Right. <laughs> well, I hope you pick Rust in Peace first. Oh, really? Why is that? Why well, is that, Dave? Well, it's a master, nothing short of a goddamn masterpiece. Well, but, I mean, you know, at the time, I mean, Metallica put on Justice for All, which I hope people don't that. choose my <laughs> underappreciated artistic record, Risk. Is that it? Risk? <laughs> yeah, that record sucks. Well, it's so bad. One man's, one man's shitty, sucky record is another man's goddamn masterpiece. <laughs> <laughs> that might be Megadeth's St. Anger, for real. It's pretty bad. 
I thought people, sonically people, no. People have been but, saying it was like load and reload because it was so experimental. Nah, I, I load and reload blow it out of the water. I already I would, don't want to. Talk I'm just about saying, this like qu- quality of song, um, is is I think it's it's Megadeth Saint Anger sonically it still sounds fine. Okay, production's good. Yeah, I don't think Megadeth has had a record that is like awful production, like a ding 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 ding, Saint Anger <laughs> snare. Mm. But um, it's still Megadeth's worst record by far. I was reprimanded this week by a listener who said I shouldn't make fun of St. Anger because other people like it. That was the uh, the reasoning. Well, we had quite a we had a colorful back and forth. <laughs> what platform was this back and forth this on? This was on Electronic Mail. Yeah, okay, cool. electronically. Yeah. It was a private it, it conversation. Actually, it actually was cool and it ended very well, but it got dicey for a minute. Yeah. I was like on the bus, like maybe in a grumpy mood, and someone's like, yeah, I don't think you should criticize things that people love. It's, you don't really have the right to do that. And like... Oh boy! If you can't see me, I'm uh, here. You go. I'm, I'm getting my clack lacking fingers ready for the old keyboard of doom. Yeah, like, I mean, it's one. Of, I think it's one of those things. Like if 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 you're not a fan of something, you have the right to say I'm not a fan of this. Yeah, we might talk about it numerous times. If you disagree, you disagree. That's fine. But well, that's, look, dude, I've been getting shit for liking load and reload my whole life. It's right. all fine. Reload sucks. <laughs> Paul. Uh, now, I don't love hearing that my one of my favorite records someone thinks is shitty. Right. But I'll either I'll either argue the point or I'll say okay, whatever, each his own. Right, that's your, or yeah. we'll make a joke about it. Sure. Tom Quee has no problem with me ta- making fun of Saint Anger. Tom Quee has no problem making fun of most of Metallica's catalog. Tom Quee has no problem <laughs> greeting people at the top of it. Hello uh, and hi hello, and hello, greetings hello and good morning and good evening wherever you may be on the planet. Hello and hi and hello again. I hate most Metallica songs. <laughs> <laughs> we give him shit, but he, he's a good friend. Oh, we of love ours. Tom. Yeah. Me, and, me and Tom are texting on the reg now. Wow, amazing! He's like my best friend now. See, Tom and I are only on, on a pen pal status. So, uh, for those of you who don't know. Tom Quee from Alpha Metallica. Yeah. Good friend of the show. All right, listen. Before we talk about 1988, let's get through some of the housekeeping bullshit. Let's do it. Let's do it. Go leave us a review on iTunes. Only takes a second. It's a real quick, easy way to say thank you and I like the show for the free content that we give all of you beautiful people every week. Can't say enough that if you don't want to do that, don't worry about it. I don't care. We forgive you in advance. Now, we do have a Patreon. You're going to hear a commercial for that later. It's a really cool way to actually give back to the show more than just the iTunes review if yep. you dig the show. The very minimum, we give a shout out to our new patrons. And we have can, one this week, well, too. Ethan's going to read the name. I'm going to read it. It's uh, Ja'ake. I'm oh, sorry. It's Jake. Sarche. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, Jake Char- Sarche. Let's that's, give it up for Jake. That's a great last name. Sarche. Uh, hey, let's do an extended applause for Jake. Yeah, let's keep going with that. Jake. Thank you, Jake. Wow. Jake, we this really want to appreciate you for getting... Let's, um, keep, let's keep it going um, a little bit longer. Amazing. <laughs> Paul! <laughs> the Bone Crusher approves, approves of Jake. The Bone Crusher we about really crushes his own hands with that clap. We really do appreciate everyone who gets on the right at level. By the way, Single yes. Podcast Theory have a Patreon as well. I'm guessing it's patreon.com slash single podcast theory. There you go. There it is. What am I, a fucking Good. detective? <laughs> Freaking fortune teller over there, jeez! Wow. Jesus, man, that intuition. Do is you crazy. have the almanac from Back to the Future? <laughs> but yeah, the one that Biff, the Biff yeah. stole and took back to took back <laughs> to the the past. <laughs> Crap! Oh, back way to back wherever. to the past. He went back from 2015 to 1955. A DeLorean. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't seen one of these. I haven't seen one of these in years. <laughs> 
Oh, jeez. We're on Instagram live. We're on Instagram. We do the Instagram live thing all yeah. the time. I did a very drunken one the other night. Who God knows what I said on it. <laughs> What's funny is they disappear after a day. So, thank goodness. Every <laughs> once in a while, like okay, so when Clint's on the road and I'm at home here at HQ One, I'm usually by about midnight or one a.m. I'm kind of winding down, watching some Netflix, eating some popcorn, but ready to go to bed. And I, I shut my whole computer down, all that stuff. And I was walking to go brush my teeth, and I looked. I just opened Instagram real quick as I was going to the bathroom. And all of a sudden, it was like, Metal Pure Podcast started a live video. And it was like 1.10 a.m. And I was like, I, I, I just looked at my phone. I was like, I got to go to bed. Clint's definitely drinking on the bus right now. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, we're on Twitter, Facebook, YouTube. Somehow, we're on Spotify. And somehow, amazingly, people find us there. We have an awesome website, com. Dot community. Is that what com is short for? I think it is. Okay. This is... This well, is dot, dot edu is education. Yeah, gov is community. Ramagovany, right? Yeah. <laughs> so why wouldn't it be community? <laughs> That's literally the best argument I've ever heard for it being well, there community. Brad, are you looking it up? Yep. Okay, Bradley's yeah. going to look it up. We got a research guy tonight. <laughs> now we have eight. As of the airing of this show, which is on a Tuesday, I believe, we have seven or eight days left on our cover of our black and limited edition T-shirts. We only made which 30. are awesome. Yeah. Only ha- over half are already sold, and once the they call it a campaign. Yeah. Once the campaign's over, that's it on the shirts. Yeah, that's it. Limited pressing. They're going to print those, ship them out to you. They're going to fit you well. You're going to rock them. They're only eighteen dollars, and we're going to do these like really super special edition limited uh, yeah. podcast shirts. Right. <clears throat> we're going to do several different runs of them. Right. So through EverPress. It just depends, yeah. and through our friends over at EverPress. So it just depends on what piece of history you want to wear. What will it be? What will it be? I want a Bone Crusher shirt. Okay. All right. Hey. We can do we, that. For real, we really probably could make a shirt that says, Paul? <laughs> you totally uh, it doesn't even say metal up your podcast. I would love, I would wear the just shit <laughs> out of that shirt. <laughs> oh my right, God. We have one sale. Have so would it be P-A-U-L two. question mark or P-A-U-L question mark exclamation point? I think it'd be that one. Like more of a Paul? Paul? Like yeah. a concern, where is he? Yeah. That's oh, what it would be, for sure. I think we already sold out of those shirts. So you can go to any of our socials and find the links for this EverPress thing. Uh, it's going to be cool. It's like this really short little campaign. We decided yeah. to have fun and try to partner with EverPress. Um, and that's all I have to say about that. If you want to email the show, you can. It's easy. What's the address? It's show at gmail.com. Duh. Duh. Who doesn't know that? <laughs> we read about five a week. We like hearing from the community. <clears throat> the and com? The, the, the dot com. Crap. I know what the meaning is. Oh, here we go. What is it? Before we go to the emails. Commercial. Damn it. Every day. Commercial community. It's a winding road. <laughs> Get a little bit closer. Cheryl. Get a little bit closer. Yeah. Yeah. Cuts like a knife. Uh, we read five ep- uh, emails an episode, and we're going to do that right now. Let's we'll, do it. Let's do it. All right, all right, all right. That's my Matthew McConaughey. Oh, really? <laughs> Was it? Do you? I did. <laughs> uh, all right, our first email is from Matthew McConaughey. It's, <laughs> it's from Jacob uh, Manatee. I'm saying Manatee. I'm sure it's Manette. He says, hey, guys, I'm listening for close to a year now, and I'm loving everything. I've recently started uh, bringing in an income since I'm only 16, so hopefully I can come uh, become a patron. Anyways, I was wondering if you've ever studied the voice change between James 88 and 89. I recently listened to a concert from 88, and he sounds like he, uh, uh, it sounds like he did during Puppets, but then during 89, he has so much more power and volume rather than screaming. 
Might be a dumb question, but do you guys have any clue as to what happened um, between only a few months? P.S. Uh, you brothers to try uh, to do imitation of Lars. I think it would be great. Thanks for making money. It's awesome. Jake from New Jersey, New Jersey. We try to do some Lars. It's, it's, they're not good. It's hard. Well, he, it's, he's got a very unique... It's tough because it's like kind of a Danish accent, but he's been in America so long. long it's, it, it's definitely not like Tobin. Who's, this is more of a G- German <laughs> thing, but it's not like Tobin so much. Lars kind of has this like, um, all, like, all I can do is... He quit um, the fucking band. What does it... What does he? What does that get about that? He quit the fucking band, Ethan. That's pretty good. That is good. It's not it's, bad. It's uh, may I just say? No, it's not. The best Lars I can do is when he goes um. Yeah, it's like a um. What really gets my dick hard is what really no, that gets was my terrible. dick shit. <laughs> you lost what it. What really gets my dick hard is all right. Who's going to do the terrible math here? James Hetfield was born in 1963. How old was he in 1988? He was 30. Who can do it? 20. He was born in what? 63. 63? So that would have been... Uh, yeah, he's 25. 25, yeah. Yeah. So basically he's saying... Hang on real quick. Uh, me and the Bone Crusher are mathematicians. <laughs> you guys are crushing that fucking math. <laughs> Simple math. Tell you what, dude. Yeah, Call dude. me the math crusher. Well, I, here's the deal. I'm 34. <clears throat> I'm a father. Um, I've seen and done a lot of insane things in my life. I don't care anymore that I'm not good at math. Right. I'm just not good at it. I could have tried to figure that out. It sure. would have been so painful yeah. to watch me carry the, carry the remainder and all use this. Your fingers a lot? Yeah. <laughs> what, carry the two. You carry an abacus one, in two, your back yeah. pocket. And then coupled with just acute laziness to even open up my computer phone right. and do it on a calculator. Yeah. I just sort of pull the room. Who's, who can do this? Who? Who can do it? Who does that? Who does that? <laughs> who does that? Seriously, Clint. Who pulls out a computer out of their pocket? Who go? Who takes the trouble to go to school, learn his rhyming, reasoning, arithmetic, mathematician? He can't add up. He can't add. He can't subtract. Who does that? Who does it? Who? You have to add in life. Life is adding. It's all adding. You it's also add, subtracting. You subtract. You divide. You multiply. Sometimes, Clinton. Who does that? Everyone does that. So if he was 25 and 88, and the question is, why did what, what accounts for the voice change? Well, age. Age. age yeah. Plus. Experience. Experience being on stage, gaining confidence on Finding stage, his voice. Finding a voice, which is so, mm. something we talked about for quite a bit mm. before the show. There mm-hmm. it is. You got to find your voice. Well, the, I mean, this is also like, I mean, this is an era of Metallica where it's like, he did the screaming thing. It was all about angst. And like, I mean, like they had this. Not that they don't have passion now, but like there was this new young passion. It was kind of reckless band. and very reckless, yeah. yeah. And it was all about getting the point across and screaming as loud as you can. But I mean, I think I mean from Kill 'Em All to Lightning, his voice changed. I do yeah, too. Absolutely. From I say Lightning and Puppets is fairly similar, but once Justice hit, it was like, oh god, he's like he's becoming a man in a way, <laughs> just a just a growly man. <laughs> not a boy, <laughs> not yet <laughs> a man. <laughs> <laughs> and then, of course, I mean, it changed in the Black Album, and I, it's been a bit evolution pretty much since Ride. Yeah. Ride and Puppets are pretty similar. Very, Yeah, they're very similar. Load and Reload <clears> are very <throat> similar. Are they? Do you? <laughs> Look at those waveforms on my computer right now. I know. <laughs> <laughs> He's laughing. Oh, you geez. hardly laughed at that. 
That usually elicits quite a bit of contagious well, I, laughter. I mean, I have heard it quite a bit. That's true. Oh, so <laughs> there's a shelf life of oh, humor. You have. No, I love I love the Clint creepy laugh, the haunted house laugh. <laughs> yeah, maybe maybe you can take a look at all s- those peaks and add a little bit of reverb. Oh, I'm gonna sell that sample to some haunted houses in Nashville. Okay, cool. Yeah. Neat. We're gonna make us some cash. Start at my house. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really laughing now. There, there it is. <laughs> Man, we've started doing those at Soundcheck. Dude. Oh, my God. We've started doing really the, that? everyone on the mic doing maniacal laughter just because you're losing our minds. Right. Sure. I'm and so, like, sometimes the opening band is like standing there laughing at it, and sometimes they just look like, so what confused. What the fuck is wrong with these guys? All right, our next email is J.R. Nichols. Greetings, gentlemen. I've just discovered your podcast last week and have fully immersed myself in the world of Clint and Ethan. Just got past the S&M episode. You two constantly have me laughing out loud as I go about my route as a cable guy. It's so great and refreshing to hear something dedicated to the mighty Metallica. He says, I'm 36 now. Metallica has been my go-to all-time favorite band since I was 12, starting with Inner Sandman. And after that, working my way to Lightning. And then I was hooked. He says, Metalhead for life. Emphasis mine. Um, (laughs) He says, also, I went through a stage in my life where the OC Supertones were life. Who? Blew me away that Ethan was not only in the Supertones, but also a huge number of bands that I used to and still really, really wow. like. I only wish you did some time in Stavesaker as well. I did not. Wow. Stavesaker's awesome. You like I've Stavesaker. not heard that name in a, a long time. I was a big Stavesaker fan. I, kinda, I guess I still am. Great band. Yeah. Speakeasy's a great album. I love the spe- oh, well, I love abs- I love all the, I love the first three great. or four. Yeah. I kind of got off the ride a little bit after that. But yeah. Um, wow. I, I always liked that Mark Solomon guy. But oh, you, yeah. you know Mark Solomon, right? Or did you know them when they were Crucify? I never met Mark when he was in Crucified. I met him when he was in Stavesacre. Uh, Dirk Lemmings, mm-hmm. who, uh, sorry, Lem- Lemonis. I always say Lemmings. Um, he was the bass player in Stavesacre, also in an old hardcore band called Focused. Um, he is now uh, an employee of Zach Brown, lives in Atlanta. That's right. We talked about that because yeah. I toured with Zach for a little bit. Yeah. And, anyway, okay. Uh, he says, anyways, my mom and I have the Whiplash Experience tickets to Nashville. And we both definitely want to be a part of your podcast if you're doing one pre-concert. Very cool. Well, we've talked about that a little bit. Uh, I don't think we're going to be recording a podcast tonight before. We're definitely going to throw a party uh, at the Cobra where we did our first year anniversary party. This will be kind of a two-year anniversary party slash night before the Metallica Nashville show party. But I think we have decided we're not going to try to do an episode. We're just going to... That's just going to be a party. It's just going to be a hang. Like, But just the a, day of the show, I think we were going to try to do something similar to Detroit and do like a tailgate, yeah. let fans come talk and hang out. Right, we're going to have yeah. an extra mic. Maybe Brown not, will be with us. Maybe Moke will be with we're us. We're not I, sure I where that is yet. Yeah. Um, but if there's somewhere maybe close to the arena, we can do that downtown, even though Nashville is kind of a shit show these days downtown. It totally yeah. is. Um, we'll, we'll, when it gets closer, we'll figure it out. But we're definitely going to do a party the night before. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's in January, I think. Yeah. Um, yeah, it'll be at the Cobra where we did the first one. Not as extensive as last time. It's just going to be a fun hang. Everyone come down, hang out. We'll give away some... We'll do a raffle, a couple of raffles. We'll we're raffles, give, yeah. You know, we try to be a podcast that tries to give shit away a lot. So, maybe we could do like a Metallica karaoke thing or something. Maybe we, we maybe do some karaoke. We're, we'll probably do another Name That Riff contest. That was fun. Yeah. So basically, we're going to do the same thing. Yeah. Same, we're <laughs> yeah. just not going to record it, so you can't. I can record it. Yeah. my drunk ass all night. <laughs> oh, man. Got a I little loose. That. that was the best. Oh, Hacksaw Jim Duggan. Oh, man. yeah. Was, was I just screaming randomly? It was during the Name That Riff contest. Like, <laughs> somebody got something wrong or, or right, maybe. And just goes, oh. <laughs> And instantly I was like, Hacksaw Jim Duggan. So I inserted a clip of Hacksaw Jim Duggan doing his oh. I love that uh, one of my tells for Clint when he's actually in Drunky Town, 
is you came off the stage for one of your bits mm. and it was like the second or third time you guys had been on stage. I can't remember what you did, <laughs> but more people had filed in. Right. And so some people were actually sitting along the bar and at, at the end of the bar that kind of came around, mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. By, by where you guys had a little stage. Set right. Yeah. Kind of by the front And door. they were just, it was your party. That's why they were there. And oh, right. they were listening and stuff. And then you got off stage, you're like, what's up with these people? <laughs> and I was like, what do you mean? He's like, Staring at me, weirding me out. I'm like, what do you mean? I mean, you're here. They're here for the podcast. Uh, you were the like, guy on stage screaming into a microphone. <laughs> well, of exactly. course, they're looking at you. What are they gonna do? You're the guy just went, oh. <laughs> and then you just go, oh, never mind, and walk off. Well, never mind. Next segment. Okay. <laughs> Thanks for the email, homie. Brad, you want to read this next one? Sure. <clears throat> this is from Danny Taylor. He says, Clint. Holy crap, with another great radio episode. I've listened to it twice already. Man, I've checked out Matthew Mayfield's music here and there since you mentioned working with him a while back in the beginning of Metal Up Your Podcast and love it. But damn, what's Beast? Sorry. Oh, Blue Cut Robbery. Oh, the Blue Cut Robbery EP is so badass. <clears throat> you weren't messing around when you said, well, let me put it this way. Um, that's track one on the EP. I stopped and went straight to iTunes to buy it. I haven't had much music lately that catches my ears like that. Uh, I'm so going to be wearing it out for a minute. Uh, A dude out of Austin named Leakin Durham has been holding my number one spot on my playlist, and a lot of his music falls in my badass music category. Thanks again for sharing good music with us, dude. Very cool. Nice. Leakin Durham. Never heard of it. I haven't either. Gotta check it out. I'll have to check it out. Yeah, that Blue Cut stuff is... Badass. Luca stuff's awesome, yeah. man. Yep. Um, we've all sort of worked with Matthew in various capacities. Yeah. He's a good friend of you guys were just talking about hanging out with him in Birmingham yep. a couple days ago. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I played on I played drums on his last two records. You played some guitar. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, you guys are all from Birmingham, so And we've t- Brad and I toured with him a cup for a couple years. Right. Did a couple records with him. <sighs> he makes some good records. You guys should check it out. Matthew Mayfield. Yep. All right, our next email is from Chad Pollock. Hello, gentlemen, and I use that term loosely. (laughs) 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 I had to go the opposite direction. Little little tisks. Oh, my gosh. Would you guys still be friends with me if I laughed like that? Yeah, dude. Of course. Of course. We would just be like, his are from Brad. He goes. He laughs. He does a. He tis- laughs kind of weird. Just, just a heads up. He does a tisky laugh. That's right. Um, <laughs> Chad Pollock says, uh, partway through the current uh, Nimes ep- uh, review episode, as often happens, I will come up with a million questions while in the middle of the episode. While I try to wait until the end of the episode to email my question, I often forget what my question even was. One of your comments, I think about Harvester of Sorrow, got me to thinking, what are some of the post-Black album songs you think would have benefited or sounded better, more awesomer? More gnarlier if they were uh, if they would have been performed during the Damage Justice area, area. <laughs> you know that area, <laughs> that, that area. A- the Damage Justice area <laughs> to the left. It's a great area to be in, by the way. Um, Post Black album songs performed during the Justice era. Well, I mean, they, they would have benefited from the the energy and anger of '88. <clears throat> I mean, geez, I mean, I think Sabbath True would work well back no, then. No, don't you dare. For real. He says post black album. Let's not. I don't well, want to hear Savage Black album any, came out. Of, that's post release date. Uh, I know what you mean. Basically, like load on. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Well, he says he says he thinks something like "Now that we're dead" or "Day that never comes" or "Attitude" would have been cool to hear if leaped back in time to somewhere around '88 before 
Jimmy James Esquire learned to quote unquote sing. Like even Fleming had a quote about um, the Justice Hero that I was reading today, where he talks about James is kind of more into the barky, <coughs> aggressive thing than actually right, right, singing. Right, which right, I yeah. think I would argue he does some singing on one. He mm-hmm. did some singing and on Harvester of Sorrow, on Ride the Lightning. I mean, yeah, Fade to Black. Yeah, I mean, totally. Um, this might be controversial. Okay. Maybe not to your 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 old bud that you email back and forth with about Saint Anger, but mm-hmm. the song Saint Anger, production aside, like throw that in the Justice era. The whole Madly in Anger with You line, he already screams it on that record. But like, imagine mm-hmm. that with like '88 Hetfield, '89 mm-hmm. Hetfield. I wouldn't mind hearing it. There's a lot of stuff on uh, Dirty Window would be great back then. I kind of like the way Dirty Window sounds. Sure, but imagine it like back then. Yeah, yeah, I'd be, I'd, be pretty I'd, I'd, I would. Uh, I'd give it the old once over. Yeah. There's a lot of people who do this thing on YouTube. I notice it a lot on the Reddit uh, page oh, where they'll do like, it. it'll be like Moth in the Flame in the style of mm-hmm. Master Puppets where I guess yeah. some nerds well, they're musicians, of which, I, of I, which I count myself right. dialed in the the, bo- the kind of the JCM 800 preamp into the boogie whatever plus they dialed on the tone crap. of justice or whatever, and then they they re-recorded it. I can't imagine having that time the time to do that. It's a lot of time, yeah. But yeah. Uh, I I guess I've heard those, and I just always kind of feel like, nah, who cares? Speaking of which, I'm going to play a clip right now of uh, every Metallica song in the sound of Saint Anger. Here we go. <laughs> I had a lot of time on my hands last week. <laughs> yeah, uh, uh, it's an interesting it, question. Yeah, it is. Uh, I mean, I'm I'm sure there's plenty plenty of tunes we could we could name that would sound cool back then. Oh, uh, I mean. God, uh, all nightmare long back then could be cool. I like the way it sounds now. I do too. I'm not saying I don't. Stop. Hey man. Okay. Hey, hey man. I, I understand. Stop judging me. Okay. I'm, I'm just like imagining like all nightmare long. Like, well then I th- I think you and I would agree if that's the case. We'd like to hear them all like that. If we're just checking them out, any of them. I mean they they had ballads back then. Roll them all up in a fucking taco. Wrap that in a pizza. <laughs> Deep fry that bitch. Hell yeah, man. Put some put some sauce on it. Put some fucking syrup on it. Freaking do some tapatio on top. Man, make it yeah, spicy dude, a little whatever, bit. Do whatever the fuck you want, dude. I'll try. I'll try anything in the fridge. I like the question though. I think it, I it, it, it is cool. Like, of course, we love how all nightmare long sounds. Um, the day never comes. What have you? Um, and it's fun to imagine what it would sound like back then in the late eighties. Yeah, it would be cool. Sure. Yeah, mm. but we have the recording. We don't need to, you know, necessarily go back and. I mean, it's first of all, it's impossible. <laughs> Unless we had a time well, machine. We never let that stop Hello. us now, Ethan. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, Chad Pollock's a good friend of the show. Oh, he has the last thing here. Yeah, he says, uh, "Keep up the great work." Just kidding. Um, where do we go? He does say, "Also keep up." The he great says, work. "Also keep up the great work." Also, snake bite, black or white? Trick question, both. Trick question, checkered. If I had to, ooh, camo. <laughs> black and white camo. No, just camo. Just camo. camo. Okay. Black and white camo, I think, would be black and white. Black and white <laughs> and camo. <not> camo. <laughs> <laughs> Unless you're hiding in a, Unless you're a hiding gaggle in a, of zebras. Yeah, in a binary room. Oh, man. If you had a black, if you had a black and white camo snake bite in a crowd of zebras, you would not be seen. Dude, you're it's impossible. The zebras would kill you, but no, no other predator. They, well, they would yeah. want the snake bite. No one else would like, That's you. a fucking great guitar. I'll give that shit to me. I'm a, zeb- I, I'm a zebra. If I had to pick one, I'm going black. Um, Yeah, I think I'm going to go black. All right. Absolutely. Is it uni- unanimous? Yeah. Lions? Okay. Oh, well, thank goodness. 
I don't know what I was going to do if we disagreed on that. That was a sweet one teen there. Uh, thanks, Chad. Lauren, uh, she says how to pronounce this. Oceanero. She says, hello, my name's Lauren Oceanero. I just found your podcast on Sportify. Sportify. <laughs> I'm just. We're I'm just gonna, gonna, we're I'm just gonna always say it. We're wrong. just gonna glance over that. Spongify, 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 Spongify. Great. She says, "Thanks for putting the cast on this platform. Podcast listening is still relatively new for me. And when you search for Metallica on Spondadai, your podcast immediately <laughs> pops up. Well, that's good that they're doing something right over that's there. That's awesome. Yeah. In the uh, wasteland, of we digital. are making zeros of dollars over there. She says, currently there are 86 episodes, so congrats on that. I feel like that's an awesome accomplishment. It's so hard for me to not skip around attempting titles, but honestly, I've decided to listen to each one consecutively, and it was the best decision. If you don't listen consecutively, you miss out on the hidden gems of your inside jokes and running gags. I recommend the new listeners to start on episode one, and don't skip any, because every single one has golden, unique moments. Mm, nice. She is one of my favorite mm-hmm. emailers. I don't hate what she's saying. I don't hate it at all. I love it. She says, after a month of listening during my morning commute, I just finished episode 15, which was our No Life to Leather episode. Your arrangement of topics from early days to present time and then skipping around eras keeps the subject matter fresh, and I'm glad you held back certain episodes like S&M and Injustice for All to roll out for later, because it's a huge suspense factor that will ultimately be so satisfying when I do finally get to those episodes. You're welcome. Uh, she's got a good little bounce to her writing, too. Yeah, yeah I like it. Yeah. I like. Real bouncy. My introduction to Metallica was in 2007 during my Guitar Hero days. Yep. I'd play Guitar Hero 3 Legends of Rock for <laughs> brought to you by Coca-Cola. <laughs> Sponsored by Pepsi. The when I play Guitar Hero 3 Legends of Rock, my hands get achy. <laughs> when I'm trying to decide what Guitar Hero game to play, I have a choice. The choice of new generation. Pepsi. <laughs> oh. Was that Pepsi? That was good. Was that Pepsi? Pepsi yeah. free. Pepsi free. Well, if you want a Pepsi, you're going to have to pay for it. <laughs> hey, do you know where Riverside Drive is? <laughs> Yeah, it's over there at Block Pass Maple. <laughs> Save the clock tower. <laughs> okay. <laughs> she says her biggest achievement was mastering the song One on Guitar Hero, literally the final song you unlock in the campaign. One will always have a special place in my heart since it popped my Metallica cherry. Now, this is a PG 13 podcast. Hey, oh. Hello. Hello. She says, my question to you guys is, did you ever play Guitar Hero uh, Metallica? Did I ever? And you have the Explorer guitar, right? Oh, yeah. I, I still play it. She says, how did you like it? Well, let's hear that. I never played it. Did you play it, Brad? Yeah. Oh, you did? I liked it. How did you like it? We have rock. As a musician, it sucks. It's different. It's, it's hard. It's harder, yeah. <laughs> it's, harder. it's harder. I can play one much easier on an actual guitar than on the Guitar Hero guitar, but it's still such a fun time. It's a great tour bus game. Yeah. Okay. If you think of it like... Yeah, for me, I had to th- not think of it as music, playing music. Of course, it was just yeah. like following buttons it's a good on time. the screen. Yeah, I- I've got multiple Guitar Hero games. I own Guitar Hero Metallica. I've got the Legends of Rock one, which has some Metallica songs on it. My wife, bless her heart, one year for my birthday, got me a new Guitar Hero controller that is an Explorer. Oh, hell yeah. It's awesome. Nice. It's pretty cool. Do you still play it? I mean, do you pick it up? I, uh, I'd say I play Guitar Hero, I don't know, a couple times a year. It's not like often anymore. I mean, let's, let's also clarify... I'm still sporting a PS2. Uh, that means PlayStation 2. Clint. Yeah, what a loser. I know. <laughs> loser. 
<laughs> You're a slacker. <laughs> You'll always be a slacker with a PS2. <laughs> she says, uh, I personally feel like putting Metallica in video games was genius. It opened their music catalog up to a whole new audience, and you got a new exciting way to immerse yourself into an interactive Metallica world. I totally agree with that. Oh, yeah, mm-hmm. for sure. I never had one. I never really got on board with it, uh, but I always thought it was oh, cool. Oh, it was a big game. I remember I mean, the games, the, the guitar games that came out before the actual Metallica one had a few Metallica songs, and those were always, as a Metallica fan, I was like, I want to play that one. Like, that's, there was fun songs to play, but like, being a Metallica fan, it's like, yeah, yeah. I want to play this oh, Metallica yeah. tune. So when they announced Guitar Hero Metallica, it was like, holy shit, yes. Mm-hmm. And there's no doubt that it introduced a whole new generation of people to the band. Oh, yeah. I mean, it, and what's cool is on that game, you could play a ton of Metallica songs and also other songs that, that like of bands they were influenced by, like a lot of new wave of British heavy metal bands. We had a fan early on, um, I mean, this is what I'm most grateful about with the game, who was able to take all the stems. Uh, oh, right. From the Death Magnetic, because I guess the, all of Death Magnetic was on one of them. Yeah, well, it was downloadable. That was the you could download Death Magnetic to and play. So, it. Yeah, I, I mean, it's just really cool to hear all the stems. And then they sent me all the stems of all the other songs. Yeah. So it was like Alice in Chains, A Perfect Circle, right. Tool. Like you can hear Schism, the well, stems of Schism. Oh, well, that shit, that whole that whole thing, that whole stems cool, thing is is what spawned the whole like remastering of Death Magnetic. Right. Like all the audio issues we've talked about on this on this show mm-hmm. about that record. People, because the way that uh, it works in video games is that they have to remaster it for video games. So what mm. gets sent to video game companies, Activision, whoever, they send it, uh, send the unmastered version to them. Mm-hmm. So those, and, and they're not even really mastered like crazy. It's not like, right. like like album mastering. So if you pull those stems off of Guitar Hero, you're basically getting unmastered versions of the record. So and then people started uh, different engineers around the started world messing with it. started yeah. messing with it, remastering. And that's how that whole thing happened. But I will say though, it's weird. Like there's usually just four tracks per song. So depending on what's in the song, it'll be like drums and bass on one. Sure, yeah. Guitars and vocals right, on one, right. and then like weird perk and overdubs on one. Right, and, and they're kind of different throughout. It's not like right. you get twenty five stems. Where it's like you could remix a song yourself. You yeah, know? Right. Trent Reznor did that years ago when GarageBand first came out on, on Max, mm-hmm. and it got really popular. Mm-hmm. This was still when I was in California, and it would think it was the oh, what's the record called with Teeth? Mm. Yeah, the Dave Grohl played on. Mm-hmm. That's with um, Teeth. He released the the main single on that record. He released stems the hand that feeds for, for yeah for GarageBand. Hmm. And it but it was this, like you're talking about. It was like drums and bass on a track, like right. All, most of the guitars on one track, some lead stuff on another track, vocals, whatever. So and the fans could just ha- fans kind of could make remix their own it however mix. they wanted yeah, to. That's yeah, cool. it's really cool. Nice. I'm a big fan of Trent Reznor. Oh yeah, uh, musically too. and just as an artist. I think oh, he's, absolutely. I think for he's sure. a forward-thinking and impressive dude all around. Yeah. She says another question: Would you consider doing Metallica karaoke with me when I come to Nashville? Uh, uh, duh. <laughs> Enter night, girl. Come on. She says, I go, I go every so often to see my twin sister who lives right by where you guys are. You won't regret it. Fuel's always a good choice. Actually, the song I sang during my bachelorette party at a karaoke bar. And then she sent us a picture of her headbanging and doing it. She said it was an awesome time. Rock on. Lauren Ocean Arrow. P.S. Ethan. Reliant K was my shit growing up back oh, in the day. Hey. So I got real excited when you mentioned that you were in that band in an earlier episode. That's well, cool. <clears throat> this is just the Ethan Luck old band hour, isn't it? Hey, I know we only read five, but I, I remembered on the way over, there is one more about you being in Demon Hunter that I want to read. Wow, I was kidding. Wow. Apparently this is the email hour with all my old bands. Please continue. How come no one cares about all my old bands, God oh, damn it? What, a, what about my old... The Rap Scallions, the Rug Rats, anything, Eddie... <laughs> anything with an R? <laughs> I like your old bands, Clint. Oh. Not as good as Rust in Peace. What an honor. Okay, uh, I do want to find this email because 
uh, it posed an interesting question. There's a philosophical question embedded in the email. Ooh, okay. Like a virus. And I want to get everyone's opinion. <laughs> I, think the, I think the bone crusher's ready. No, I'm ready to listen. I could tell he was ready by, by the big-ass yawn he just admitted. I'm sorry. We're just boring his ass to nope, goddamn nope, death. Fine. We're nope. only like 40 minutes in. Okay, uh, here we go. Casey Chapman says, Dear Ethan and Clint, and we'll include Mr. Bradlington here. Thanks. He says, What an amazing show. My dad and I have always been giant Metallica fans, and since we live in different states, this show, our show, Metal of Your Podcast, has been a great way for us to stay connected with each other and continue to always have something to talk about. I think that's really rad. Yeah, that's very cool. Keeping sons and dads connected. Yeah, oh, man. Yeah, that's so cool. Uh, he says, I read a story the other day about how the man from SEAL Team 6 who killed Osama bin Laden had been wearing a Demon Hunter patch. The military used to use Metallica's music for interrogations. When Metallica found out about it, they said they did not promote violence and asked to be taken off the list. Demon Hunter, on the other hand, sent CDs and patches and stickers and volunteered their music as support for the military and all they do. I wasn't sure if you knew about that. My favorite albums from Demon Hunter were back when you were the guitar player. Oh, thank you. Uh, he says, how do you feel about Metallica taking their songs off the list? Do you see it as a shun to the military? And when can we expect to see you back in Demon Hunter, if at all? Oh, wow. Uh, God, so deep. Um, I don't see it as a shun to the military. I agree. Um, and also, I'd have to hit up Ryan Clark, the singer, and ask him specifics about that situation. But I'm, as far as my memory... So you were aware of this? Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Okay. Yeah. Um, we used to get that question a lot. Like, was your music used to torture people and all this stuff? Like, mm -hmm. because Metallica's wasn't. Um, I don't think that was the intention of sending it over was like, Hey, use this to torture people. <laughs> right. We, we, ha we were very supportive of troops in the military. Um, Ryan wrote a song called it's very plain and simple called the soldier song. Um, we had, I didn't personally, but like the label or whoever sent stuff over to troops, like, Hey, here's stuff. Here's patches. Here's music. We support you guys. Like, you know, maybe it got swept up in the narrative of... I think that's what it was, because at the time, it was like Metallica pulled their music from... Or said, hey, don't use our music to torture people. Um, and then we were sending our music you know, over there for, for troops to listen to and be encouraged by... It's and kind of two different hope. things that got conflated. Right. I think so, man. It, it, wasn't, it definitely wasn't a thing where it was like, well, fuck yeah, let's, let's send our metal music over there to torture fucking terrorists or whatever. Like It was just like... It was more of a support thing for the troops. Like... Hey, thank you for sacrificing yourselves and and putting your life on the line for us. Here's our music, Here's like because we had a, <laughs> yeah. yeah we had a lot of we had a lot of fans that were like soldiers that would come to shows or like hey I was over in Afghanistan, your music got me through some heavy shit, and that was more w where we were coming from as far as like you know why our music got over there. You know, it wasn't mm -hmm. like a specific reason. Like, but how would you feel if they were using it to torture people? Wow, I, I mean, it's pretty icky, right? It's pretty icky. Um, I don't know. I, I don't think I would really be down with it. I think yeah. I'd, I think I'd be along the lines of Metallica, like, hey, because you know, like with Demon specifically, you know, it is metal, it is heavy, it's angry sounding, but I think the core message of what Demon Hunter did and still does to this day hunt is down a message and hunt of down demons, hunt down demons and shoot them in the head. No, but it's, it's, a, it's, it's, how you kill it's always been a, a message of hope, right. you know, a, you know, an encouraging message, if anything, whether you believe the same thing we did or not, maybe the soundbite, it distills it where maybe the message was more like, Hey, we'd prefer you didn't use the music to spread harm. Right. But we love that you're fans and we want to 
you know, we're stoked that we you're fans you, of the music. Yeah. And we want to support right, you. With yeah. art. It is weird to think about though. Like as you know, we all make, uh, create music, you know, we don't just play it. And you think about the stuff that, that you create yourself or you create with other people. <clears throat> and you always think of it as this thing that could possibly do for someone else. What, other music has done for you mm-hmm. right? right so yeah. obviously that's what it's used for is this positive kind of conditioning that happens you know like i go to music and put a certain song on to make me feel a certain way somewhere in the spectrum of sure yeah. positivity or feeling less alone or whatever it is and, and to think about creating something th- that will be burned into the brain of someone as the possibly the worst time of their life mm-hmm. that's just a weird heavy thing to think about it's, i mean it, it's no matter heavy, what yeah. the intentions are or whatever sure. you know what i mean like that's that's well it's fucked up i agree and I, and I think metallica because they're so huge that they i think even early on they were aware of a responsibility to they've always been an apolitical band right yeah oh, and, you yeah. know and to contrast that with like the band that brad focuses on a band that we love pearl jam me ethan and i too they've decided to be you know, a political band. Right. Not only, they yeah. write a lot of songs about hope and faith and love and love King lost. It's, it's not, <laughs> it's not all political, but like bands like U2 or Pearl Jam or REM right, yeah. are bands that decided to like state claims in certain places. I, I largely agree with them ideologically, so I'm kind sure. of okay with it. But I can see sure, how yeah. a band like Metallica, where I think within the band, they have some differing opinions. Mm-hmm. Sure. Yeah. I think, I think maybe Kirk and old James Hetfield probably disagree a lot on right, right. policy and on philosophy. Right. Of course. And so, and in a lot of ways they both represent their fans too. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. So I sure as hell wouldn't want my music being used to hurt people. Yeah. I mean, uh, yeah. If I made it more personal, like, you know, like the record is finished. That's not yet. Like if I found out like, Hey, we're using your music to like torture someone to get information. First of all, I would be like, "Is my music that bad?" Well, anything well, I think that loud I think anything for that, that long long exactly. is torture. It's, it's a psychological, yeah, right, you know? psychological. Of course, torture. yeah. But I understand what you're saying. But I, but you know, I mean, to me, it would. It, you know, it's weird because it's like you know, if it's talking about torturing somebody who like has done these awful things and killed people and like whatever. But I wouldn't even want that. Like that's what I'm trying to get to. Is like I, I like I don't know. Like I, I'm kind of of the mindset like. That even like the worst people on the planet like can have a second chance or can change oh, your, change your life. Yeah, I don't feel that way. Okay, fair enough. I, know, I I think like the worst. Like, as much as I fucking can't stand, I'm just gonna not to get too political here, but like fucking Donald Trump, I think he's a piece of garbage. Mm-hmm. Right. Do I think that that guy can turn his life around? I do. Oh yeah. Well, I'm talking about like when I think of like pure evil, like a human being. No, no. Hopefully, Demon Hunter. They got all the demons. And, <laughs> yeah. Um, oh, we got those, yeah. But I'm thinking about like someone who hurts kids, okay? Someone sure, who preys right. on and hurts children. Right. And not like we think they might, not any thought crime shit. Oh, we, they, we found a weird website they went to. Right. I'm talking about someone that we caught hurting a kid. Sure. Now, yeah. if I'm king of the world, we kill them immediately. Just right, immediate right. death. No, no, no redemption, no <laughs> sure. forgiveness. You die. Even that person, I don't want them to do it with my goddamn music. <laughs> Leave my music <laughs> yeah. out of it. Sure, yeah. You know, like... And that's let alone a war that is involved and confusing. And, you know, I've done USO tours where I've gone and performed for troops, you know, similar to Demon Hunter being like, I want to use art to help those people. Yeah. And it was one of the most humbling things I've ever done. But I met a lot of people over there that really didn't understand why they were there. Yeah. They were real confused about the enemy and they're basically just 
throwing bombs and shooting guns at other 17, 18 year old kids who also don't know why they're shooting guns mm-hmm. and bombs. Yeah, right. sure. So that's even, that even adds a whole other layer to it of wanting to pull your music out of that. Yeah. I want us to get the bad guys. I'm not sure we all know who they, they are all the time. Right. And I think there's a lot of potential for motives that I don't understand. Yeah. It's a chess game that's way beyond my purview. Yeah, sure. So, I agree with Metallica. Let's just take the tunes out right. of it. And hopefully one day, like uh, Ryan Clark, who sings for Demon Hunter, uh, will be in Nashville for a couple of days. We can have him on the podcast. We can ask him that question. I, I just because that was I was kind of removed from that because like yeah. they're, they're, they're did Ryan they're, know about it? Because you said management did it. <clears throat> well, I, no, I can see that happening. No, 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 too. I, I think it. I think it was. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure. I'm sure it went by Ryan. Like, hey, what do you think of this? Should we do this? Because Ryan's kind of the, him and Don, the old guitar player, were kind of the masterminds of Demon Hunter. Mm-hmm. Um. I think I mean again I'm 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 not 100% positive but I'm pretty sure it was more of a like Brad can you just sorry, stop coughing? Can you stop being sick? Can you stop like just being a human being? You know I'm going to I'm going to put on my record and torture your ass. Um I can't wait to hear your record. Well, I got CDs right over there. Uh no but I I, I think uh I'd like to think at least that it, it was more of a Let's send our music over there just yeah. to support the Which troops. Which I, I totally back. Give them something to like be encouraged by to get you know you know just pumped up by, but not to kill somebody. You're going to do that anyways, I guess. I don't know. Well, it's a weird thing. It is a weird thing. We can go that's on why, and that's on. That's why I this, wanted to read but, the email because I yeah. thought it was such a fascinating question. I would like to revisit that question one day when we have Ryan, Ryan on the show because okay, cool. I'm, I'm sure we will at some point. I definitely don't think it was Metallica shunning the military. I, th- I no, think no, no. I think yeah. I, you know James has written a lot of music about war and about yes. and you know they've done benefits and shit and i yeah, think I mean, that i think that would be too a, a, a gross oversimplification of all the right. moving parts involved yeah let's just get the tunes away from you being used in a negative way yeah, that way, exactly you know so all right well it's as simple as that metal podcast show at gmail.com if you want to have your thing read maybe you want to inspire a deeply deeply philosophical question about whether or not ethan will join demon hunter again i don't know are you going to join him again? <laughs> we never, you never I ha- answered it. I have an announcement, guys. Uh, I'll say this. I'll make it brief. Um, Demon Hunter is not a full-time touring band, so it would be pretty impossible to like rejoin and stuff. But the guy that took over for me, Patrick Judge, who's awesome. He lives here in Nashville. I know Patrick. Patrick's awesome. Um, he can outplay me. He's a way better fit for the band and what in what they are after I left. All the records they've made since I left, he is perfect. And by the way, for to, Demon g- to give you guys a, an example of what it's like in Nashville, he also plays in a country band. He does. Yeah, pa- he, most country guitar players, myself being one, are just displaced metalheads. Yeah, yeah. No, Patrick is a phenomenal guitar player. Hell of a <laughs> dude. One of the nicest guys. I think you met him at uh, Metal Night, right? When we went to that uh, at at Melrose. Were you there or no? Or was I texting you from there? I've met the Demon Hunter guys a couple times. Yeah. Out on the road, and then I met them at a party, whatever, whichever ones were present at the party. That's right. I think Jeremiah came. Any, anyways, all I have to say... Well, um, I met Jeremiah, but I've met Patrick somewhere else. Yeah, Patrick's awesome. All I have to say... Um, Killer dudes, great I, band, I won't great re- I won't rejoin the band. I mean, if like Patrick quit, I would be like, I'll play the stuff that I recorded on, because I can't... Patrick's leads are insane. You guys He's just so miss me complimenting good. their penises. They have beautiful penises. I've seen most of them. Um, no, but uh, all right. I will say uh, to answer uh, her, uh, the question is um, if no, the if, answer is no. If Ryan called me tomorrow and said like, "Hey, we're going to do a show and play this record front to back that you played on," do you want to do it? Of course I would. Yeah, in a heartbeat. I loved playing that band. It was so much fun. All right. Who's so the drummer? Fun. Uh, Yogi. When I was is in the he band. still? Yeah, he's still yeah, he's still doing it. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. You know that dude? Yeah. Yogi's a great drummer. It's a small world. 
worlds colliding. All right, and that, ladies and gentlemen, was the goddamn forever long Gosh, email three corner. hours long. Bye. Hey, this is Ethan and Clint from Metal Up Your Podcast, and we want to talk to you about something we love called Patreon. That's right. Patreon is a way for fans of the show to give back to the show to donate money that uh, helps us in quality and content. And not only that, but we've actually come up with all sorts of fun incentives to give back to you for supporting the show. Exactly. For instance, if you donate $5 or more, you get access to Cover Our World Blackened, which is the official Metal Up Your Podcast Metallica cover EP. That's right, and that's the only way to get it. In addition to the EP, we also give you priority email access, meaning we'll read your email first on the show. We give you early access to Patreon-exclusive merchandise, Patreon-exclusive giveaways, and any other side projects Ethan and I might be involved in. There's all sorts of things you can look at on there and you can donate to. Go check it out. Patreon.com slash Metal Up Your Podcast. How do you spell that, Clint? P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash Metal Up Your Podcast. And if you really think about it, $5 a month for an entire year, that's really just like a cup of coffee a month. So go check it out. Thanks, everyone. Peace. Adios. Okay. How about 19 and 88? (laughs) (laughs) So uh, if you've been on this journey with us talking through the records, 1987 was an interesting year. Jason Newstead. You know, that has his first sort of foray in touring in the band. They make Garage Days we revisited. Um, it wasn't totally an inactive year, but 88 kind of marks. Right. You know, it's the follow-up to Master of Puppets. Mm-hmm. That's really what's happening. So right. we're just going to kind of burn down the months here. So starting in January of, uh, of 1988, of 2018. <laughs> so Electra. Electra signed, thanks to our friend Michael Alago, which, yeah. by the way, if you haven't heard our episode where we talk with the A&R rep, Michael Alago, who signed Metallica yeah. after they made Lightning. Pretty nice guy. So they got signed to Electra, and Electra started to make a, put a plan together to re-release Kill 'Em All. I think they had some sort of deal with Johnny Z of Megaforce, where they were Megaforce was still allowed to sell Kill 'Em All up to yeah. a certain point, and then at a certain point that ran out and they were like, it's time for us to start making money off Kill Em All. So mm-hmm. they re-released it with the bonus tracks Am I Evil by Diamond Head and Blitzkrieg by Blitzkrieg, which were both recorded in 84 for the, uh, what was called the Garage Days Revisited. Yeah. It was also on the Creeping Death Jump in the Fire EP and the Creeping Death single. So you've mentioned before that when you bought Kill Em All, this was the one you bought and you yeah. thought that those were Metallica songs. I, when I, when, or did I mean, you know they were covers? Or? No, I had no idea. I didn't know what a cover song was back then. I mean, I, like, I, I, would, I would... This is back in 2016, This is 2015. Yeah. Just learn yeah. what a cover song yeah, was. Yeah, it was yeah. a long time ago. No, but when I, when I was first learning guitar, like I would learn a Skid Row song, Metallica song, whatever. Monkey Business? M- didn't learn that one. The first song I ever learned was 18 in Life. 18 in Life, yeah, been yeah. counting. Eighteen and left to go. Your time is crying, and it's eighteen and left to go. Hell of a voice that guy, by the way. Dude, that was my first concert. He was on Broadway. Skid Row. On Broadway, he did. Sebastian Buck. What? Yeah, he, he did sing his ass off. Yeah, he did. Uh, Doctor Jekyll, Mister Hyde. Oh Jesus. And he was really good. I didn't see it, but I've seen clips. Anyways, all to say, um, I didn't know what a cover song was. Yeah, I was like, I'm learning this song by my one of my favorite bands or whatever. I didn't realize that like well, that you, people would record them and put them on their. Yeah, records. I didn't get it. So like when I got Kill 'Em All for the first time, me and my old friend Aaron Watman, who's in New York now, we got Kill 'Em All. Did you ever read the line of notes? I did, but I didn't know what like. I'd lay in bed and read the line of notes. I mean, I, I mean, I guess I read liner notes, but I, I didn't like look at it and be like, No, no, I know. I did, it didn't make any sense to me like like when I saw like CSAC or ASCAP. For or, me, I would have been... So I 
one got me into Metallica, right? right? So Justice, and then I went back. So it was probably it could have been eighty nine or something before I bought Kill 'Em All. And yeah. At that age, I wouldn't have known what a cover song. Was. Right. I so mean, I thought everything on there was Metallica. Yeah, you know exactly. I mean? Like, so when I heard Blitzkrieg, I was just like, "This is a great Metallica song." I do love that recording too. Oh yeah. Those recordings are cool. I mean, they they have their own little charm to them. Mm-hmm. It's a, the the liner notes for them. So they were re- okay. I just want to get this right for the purists out there who okay, may be coming through what we're saying. Um, these the two tracks that were added on the Electra re-release of Kill 'Em All. Okay, they were, were on the UK Creeping Death single that Music for Nations put out. Music Nations was like their European dis- distribution company. Right, yeah, and then it was later on the Creeping Death Jump in the Fire P, which were. Was those songs, but also with Jump in the Fire and a live version of Seek and Destroy. Yes, exactly. Um, hmm. Just to be thorough there. I love those recordings, though. It says they were produced by the band and Mark Whitaker, who was like their sound guy. Mm-hmm. Like, remember when we did the Kill em All box set and we had some of the audio of those early shows and you can hear James being like, Come on, Mark! Yeah. <laughs> Come on, Turn Mark! Turn the monitors up, asshole! Yeah. Into the mic! <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Mark! Just that really shrill young Hetfield. All right, so January 28th, moving right along here. And this is kind of <clears throat> mostly through the, or through the month of May, is them yeah. recording Justice. So we've done a whole episode on Justice for All. Right. We've done a whole episode on Fleming Rasmussen. So there's a lot of details if you want to go back. But we'll kind of camp out here in, ju- in the making of Justice I mean, for th- yeah, a this bit. is this is kind of the meat and potatoes of 88. So they started recording it on January 28th at one-on-one studios in L.A., which is where they would go on to do the Black Album. Very famous studio. Yep. It's no longer called that anymore, by the way. It's called something different now. It's called like a, HZ or it's something. It's called the studio that Metallica did two <laughs> giant records at. For those of you uh, who want to get a visual in your head, it was heavily featured in the uh, the making of uh, the Black Album, the, yeah. the Year in the Life, yeah. Year in the Life, Doc- yeah. Year in, whatever, whatever that fucking thing five is years called. in life of Metallica. Yeah, five hundred thousand emails at, to metal up your podcast yes. in the life of Metallica. Bob Rock's sweet blouses. Bob Rocks, yeah, Waterfall, Life of Metallica. Waterfall Ponytail, Moo yeah. uh, Moo Blouse Fanny Montere Pack. Monterey Crew? <laughs> what was it when they're holding up Bob Rocks' old band? They're like, this is when Bob was a chick. Yeah. yeah they're like, <laughs> What's the name of that band? Oh, Fuck, why can't I think of that? Shoot. I've watched that part so many times. Yeah, I don't remember it either. That picture was amazing, though. Oh, it's so <laughs> good. I'm also yeah. unwilling. It seems like we're all unwilling to look it up. Are we all? Uh, I'll look it you up. You want to look it up? Yeah. Okay. All right, Bone Crusher's <laughs> got it, man. That's the cr- classic Bone Crusher. Oh, it's dude. so Bone Crushy of him. He loves to cr- he likes to crush facts as much as bones. Come on, he loves to crush so many things. He likes to crush. He loves yeah. to crush data. <clears throat> I'm doing it now. Now I didn't know this. So, so I was I was kind of I knew that the studio was famous. Of course, the Black Album is prob- Black right. Album is probably the most famous record ever made there, but. These records were made there that I thought was interesting. Fiona Apple's Win the Pawn, which is an amazing... Do you, you ever get hit to Fiona Apple? Yeah, she's awesome. John yeah. Bryan and yeah. Matt Chamberlain and stuff. <clears throat> uh, Kiss, which this is fun for me. Crazy Nights and Psycho Circus, neither of which are very good records. However, they are my beloved Kiss. Of course, yeah. Uh, and then Dirt by Alice in Chains was recorded decent there. Decent record. Pretty good, right? Pretty decent. It's a fucking great record. It's one of the best metal records of all time. I love it. It's so good. Someone was asking this on um, Instagram or uh, Twitter today. If we were Alice in Chains fans, and uh, uh, yeah, I, I wrote that I was a massive fan of all the Staley era, and then post Staley, I think is good. Like I've dipped in, but I, I, I've lost some interest. But you actually listened to Dude, the, the, the last, William Duvall. Yeah, the last two records they did are awesome, and I know Nick Raskulenix did those records. Did another one, um, I believe it just came out. 
Yeah, I think I think there's some new Al stuff. Maybe the Bone Crusher can look that up for us. Hold on. No, he still hasn't crushed the. He still hasn't crushed the. He hasn't Bone Crush the. What the current name of 101 Studios is, though. It's like HZ or something. I thought I was looking up the name of the band. Of, oh, wait. Yeah, that's Bob right. Sorry. Band, yeah. Obviously, I'm was not it crushing Payola? any bones. Payola? Oh, no. Wait, was it Payola? I think it might have been Payola. Did you just go it's to like... gotta ba- be. Because ba- those records are from like 81 to 83. He was in that band. Yeah, I think it is Payola. It's gotta be. Payola. Oh, God. Which is also like the worst thing. Not the worst thing, but a really shitty thing in the music industry back in the Do day. Do you want to explain what payola is? Payola is basically like uh, you're you're a label guy. You got this new band. You you have hope for them. You think you have good songs. You go to the re- the uh, radio station guy, the program director, and say, hey, "Look, which is the gatekeeper at radio, you can make right. or break a band." Exactly, especially at a big station like in LA or something. Mm-hmm. You go to him and say, "Hey, look, man, I have this band. You may not like them, but I think this is a good song." I'm going to pay you this much money or I'm going to give you this whatever. I'm going to give you some, it's basically bribery. Not really bribery. Just it's more under of like the table kind of, yeah, 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 a little deal. Like, Hey man, if you play this like every two hours for the next two weeks, I'm going to give you like it, it a hundred grand. It'd be a spin count, yeah. you know, like, cause they'll, they'll, what they, what I didn't know that they used to do is they used to do kind of like robo calls where they would spin a single or a record and then they would actually call. They would do, they would do calls and they would, Basically, say, did you hear the song? What do you think? They would do like demo yeah. Um, right, polling. Yeah, yeah so Paola. W- w- but Paola would just bypass that whole thing. Right. It would basically like. Get, Whether okay, it was so strip clubs a, a, you know or a, TVs or cars. You know what a, a classic example is? The, a band that went on to sell millions and millions Counterfeit, of records? Counterfeit, Limp Biscuit. Creed. Oh, Creed did Paola? Have you ever read Butch Walker's book? I did read that book. He talks about him there. Okay. How like, does he when know? He was about in Marvel, well, he was in Marvelous 3. They share the same manager. I think. Oh, okay. And his manager like begged him. What's it called? Drinking, drinking something. Uh, I read the book. Um, Drinking with friends or drinking alone. I can't remember what it's called. Drinking with Ethan. Drinking with Clint and the Bone Crusher. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But no, he talks about like this whole payola thing. How like, how like basically like, hey, radio station guy, like we're gonna give you access to this timeshare in like the Bahamas for the next two years. It could be really any exchange for spins. And, and it's illegal. It's illegal. It's, and yet, it, it actually still happens, technically, but it's just way under the table. Well, the now. one that I knew that was like a really big controversial one was Counterfeit by Limp Biscuit, which is kind of what rocketed their asses. Yeah. Right. And that was straight up pale, like busted, you know? Yeah. Well, I know it still happens, and Creed was one of the biggest examples like in the, in the 90s of Paola, where this band should not have had any success. And right. Somebody got paid a shitload of money to play their song like crazy, and it just exploded. Yeah. So, well, country radio can be like that. It's like you, these program directors are almost like tastemakers. If they decide for whatever reason, you know, whether a, a dude artist or a female artist, and I've seen both, uh, can grease the wheels. Yeah. You know, they they can the, this were the American application. I think of the last 15 years has basically been like, if you just hear it enough, it must be good. good. Right, right, exactly, yeah. And so you can really make or break people. Now, someone as good as Chris Stapleton or Jason Isbell or whatever, someone like yeah. Taylor Swift even, who's just amazingly talented. Also, she was also independently wealthy. That didn't really hurt. That you know, did not but hurt, yeah. There are people who are going to be good and shine through. Right, but all yeah. the bullshit in between what's great, <clears throat> it's there's no telling how it got there sometimes. Yeah, I, sure. used to, I remember when I was a kid, I didn't really understand sort of the the grossness of the industry. I used to be like, how did this happen? What's going yeah, on? I mean, I mean, if you, if you go throughout the last, I would say even like 25 years, I mean, there's bands that you 
look at that sold millions of records, you're like, how in the fuck did it? Like a Creed or like, yeah, but then not with to that, like pile on, but I remember feeling like that with Creed. Yeah. Like I just like. All right, I'll say it. I bought some, the first three Creed records. <laughs> even if it's something that I, I really don't did. like, I can still respect it. And that was one that I was just like, I don't understand yeah. what's happening right now. I'm with you, man. But. Totally with you. With arms wide open. I never liked that, but I like that song, Torn. Torn. I don't know. My misery. They had this. I don't know. I liked it. I was a little angsty, little dickhead kid. That's cool. So what's happening with Metallica? Natalie and Brulia. That's that's a great I'm song. I'm all out of faith. This is how I feel. That Creed song? Cold and yeah. iron, it, lying naked, naked on, on the floor. Illusion never fades into something real. Oh, mate. I know who she is. Oh, right. She's from Down Under. Yeah, she was Natalie a film star. Oh, that's so, right, man. Soap opera star. She, she's she up there with f- the oils. Oh. Midnight Oil. Oh. How can we dance when earth keeps turning? I think it's higher than that. <laughs> it's not. It's an E. It's an E. I'll tell you that. <laughs> hit an E. Hit an E on that corner. Just hit the E string right there on. next to you. How can we dance when That's like a B. No, it's, it wasn't E really. E was like the fifth of that. Come on. How can we talk? That. I was a little bit higher. You said it was higher than me. I, this is a fun I can't game. believe this is happening this right is now. This is a fun <laughs> game. I'm having a good time. Are you? Let's Are not, you? Do you? We're like two notes into January. Well, all right. We all know that, and we're going to get into the bass controversy later. We're going to hear. We're even going to hear a clip from Steve Thompson who mixed the record. Are we solving the problem once and for all? I don't think so. No. No. But we are shedding some light on it, yeah. but we're not going to get mired down in that now. Just to say, for the record, just to note here, Jason's first full length, he did, of course, Garage Re-Revisited, sure. in which the bass is real loud and sounds real good. Real loud, yeah. yeah. Now, we talked about this on the 1987 episode. I didn't really quite know this, and I found this to be interesting. So, they were supposed to write and record what was going to be Injustice for All in 1987. Uh, but they was sidetracked because uh, James broke his arm mm-hmm. on a goddamn skateboard again. Love it. And there were quote unquote unproductive writing sessions with Jason. And this is a quote from Kirk Hammett in uh, Birth School Metallica Death, the book. He says, We were waiting for Jason to write some big epic stuff, but it never came. It was great that he was there and he was enthusiastic, but he didn't make any huge contributions. Now, that, first of all, Okay, almost everything about that sounds weird to me. Yeah, can we, can it we does. camp out here for a second? Yes, please. Okay, so first of all, they now maybe they did try to hire a guy that could be like a Cliff guy because obviously we all know Cliff brought a lot of writing, composition, harmonic course, structure, yeah. uh, uh, you know, um, diverse influences right. to the table. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. But I never got the impression that they were looking to replace Cliff in that way. I didn't either. So the thought, the, the thing that the to think of Hetfield and Ulrich being like, yeah, well, we were waiting for this guy to deliver some heat. He just never did it. That it doesn't sounds, sound like them. It all, well, or it also sounds like maybe it was part of the hazing process where it was like, okay, hey, man, we don't expect you to like be at cliff level. Just play the parts right and we'll be cool. And then when it came time for Ryan, they're like, hey, man, why aren't you contributing? Where are the fucking riffs? Well, it's see, like, you didn't tell me to. Like, I'm just here to play the parts. Well, here's the other side of that, though. He wrote Blackened. Right. <laughs> Isn't that enough for a first like, what, contribution? Oh yeah, hold on. Let me read this again. <laughs> Wait, what's black? Let, let me read this again. Kirk Hammett, who I love, 
It was great that Jason was there and was enthusiastic, but he didn't make any huge contributions. Well, this was during the lifelong Metallica fan. But this is '87, though, right? (laughs) Is this quote based upon the fact that they were like writing? I'm not sure when maybe recording. uh, I'm not sure when the quote was given, but it was in reference to the writing sessions that were supposed to be like the summer of '87. Yeah, they they as we discussed in the last uh, year in the life. They put out the EP, they just got together and played some of their cover songs they loved right. to kind of like have a product for the Monsters of Rock yeah. tour. Right, yeah, yeah. But what they would plan on doing like the big follow-up, you know, yeah. like having a Barn Burner LP. Right. It's just weird for them to say like, oh, well, we got sidetracked because, well, James broke his arm because the dumbass skateboarding again. Obviously not good at it. How many times have you broken your arm on a skateboard? Zero. Yeah. That's what I thought, dude. That's why I asked that question. Uh, I broke my actually, I did break my wrist one time, but I was also not in a a band that had released three records at that point. I think I'm just grumpy about him skateboarding because like he could have like ended Metallica because of a skateboard. Ah, and you have to break your something pretty bad. Could have broke his butt, dude. Ooh, if he broke his butt. Out. He could have broke his cockix, dude. <laughs> if he broke his butt, man, we would have been left with Master of Puppets. Jeez. Well, anyway, it just I, I seems just also think that to be honest with you, like some, sometimes Kirk in interviews is. Just, I know. Sometimes I think can, it can be weird. He just gets like, uh, like, I don't know, a little scatterbrained, scatterbrained because he probably they probably have to do tons of interviews, tons of talking about the yeah. same shit over and over again. That's true. You know, I don't know. Well, uh, I mean. How Jason wrote fucking Blackened. I mean, that's so, I mean, my, one of the greatest songs of their career. My favorite Metallica song. Yeah, I wrote the main riff of Blackened. Didn't write Blackened, but right. so the book that I'm reading this quote from was published in 2013. I, I don't, I don't have it in front of me, so I don't. Please, no one write in and please don't do it. Um, I don't know when exactly he said it. So <laughs> that was so sad and sincere. I'm please just, don't. My next please few weeks stop. are so fucking just busy, dude. I just, I'm going to kill myself if someone writes in. Um, <laughs> It does. It just seemed a little dubious to me, and I feel like how much of a chance did would they even really give Jason to creatively sculpt what would be the follow up to Puppets? What seems to be me to be more accurate is like they were very guarded of the right. material. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Like we'll let you in. Like what do you got? Oh, that's good because they talk. He talks about he played that tape of the demo for James in his apartment, and mm-hmm. James was like, "Hey, that's good enough to lead off the record." Yeah, I don't think they were like completely closed off, but I, I can't imagine it was this. We're, we're expecting you to come up with what's going to be good about it. Because guess yeah. what ended up happening? It just doesn't make any sense. They wrote it at Carlson Boulevard in that garage, yeah. Hatfield Ulrich, just like they do all their records. Right, yeah. And that's what Justice is. Yeah. So anyway, by the end of 87, they had the nine songs demoed. Uh, they wrote it in the garage. Now, we get into this Mike Klink stuff, which we yeah. did talk about on the Our Justice Oh, I'm this boring you too. Yeah, I'm tired. Sorry. I had a long weekend, Clint. Oh, I just slept the whole time on a fucking cloud of rest. <laughs> Must be nice. What do you say, bone <laughs> Good crusher? Good for you, bud. <laughs> Must be nice. Brow was busy crushing bones all weekend. Crushing bones is harder than people think, guys. It's not that easy. I get, when I'm crushing bones, my throat gets parched. And then you know what? I Finally, I crush my last bone. I have a I, song called Bone Crusher. <laughs> <laughs> when I crush my last bone, Ethan... I went out to the garage and opened up the cooler, and I was plum out of Coca-Cola Classic. I'm pretty sure Megadeth. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Do they really have a song called Bone Classic? Uh, Yeah, I think they do, yeah. Jesus. Who does? Megadeth. Oh. 
I'll look it up this time. Okay, thank you. We were a fucking fact-looking-up group of motherfuckers <laughs> today, man. Shit. Now, so this Mike Klink stuff is... Now, Lars, much the way that he found Bob Rock to do the Black Albums, because he heard what Bob had been doing with Motley Crue and the Cult, he was enamored with that with the... Sorry, Head Mike. Crusher. Oh, same thing. There's bones in the There's head. There's bones in the head. There's yeah. at, least, at least two bones in, the, in every head. We're good. Um, he had heard and was enamored with Appetite for Destruction, which... Ring a ding ding. Right. Of course he was. Right. One of the coolest records ever <clears throat> fucking made. It's pretty good. We could probably all three of us do a couple hours on Appetite. Yeah. That might be a fun kind of revisited just to like dig into a classic oh, yeah. record of the time. We could I mean it's related to Metallica. It was the record that influenced him to hire Mike Klink. What's really weird about it, for those of you who may not know, is that it didn't really work out with Mike Klink. They they're kind of vague about why it didn't work. The, the the general terms that James and Lars kind of threw around, the vibe wasn't right. That does not mean they didn't record anything. Well, he has engineering credit on Harvester of Sorrow yeah. and Shortest Straw. Yep. Are those the two? Yep. Yep. So, and you know what? I think the drum, and it was just the drums he engineered. I think the drums sound fucking great on those songs. Yeah. He also engineered The Prince and Bread Fan. Yep. They recorded those two songs while they were basically waiting for Fleming to fly over. So basically Fleming, on the heels of the success of Lightning and Puppets, was understandably in demand in Copenhagen. And they wanted him to originally do the record, and he was just unavailable. Right. He's too busy. Too busy for Metallica. That's mm, I busy. think his head doth get a little big. <sighs> Sorry, guys can't really record that follow-up master of puppets a little busy right now recording this danish, some unknown danish band this danish ska band i'm sorry dude you drop everything when metallica calls you yeah what's he thinking but uh, lars kind of saw his excuse like all right cool we'll get mike clink i think you know he's obsessed with appetite it didn't really work out so lars called him and said hey it's not working we need you to come i don't know if he offered him more money or begged him but fleming gets on a plane on february 14th and flies there. While yeah. he's flying there, he's listening to the mixes so far. They'd had about three weeks with Mike. Right. And I guess it just really wasn't happening, particularly in the guitar department. Right, yeah. But when I hear The Prince and Bread Fan... It's awesome. And guess what's on those? Bass, guitar. Right. I mean, not a ton. But it, it's more than justice. It's though. more than justice. What is kind of crazy, though, is that the, the drums on those two, those two B-sides mm-hmm. don't sound much different from what the rest of justice oh, i agree well because mm-hmm. because mike engineered him right but like yeah but a lot i mean I yeah it still says a lot because they're real cri- yeah. they're, well, well, okay so what would you say would be sonic and... ha- uh, hallmarks of that when you say that they're the same they're real crisp they're real up front they're real they're dry very very dry, dry yeah. very dry which which fleming was a kind of a reverb cat they're, they're very small sounding to me they're not like big ass like they're not the black album drums Oof, you know yeah not load drums. Mm. Um, definitely not saying your drums. Okay. <laughs> but, Can we even really technically call those drums? <laughs> ting, ting, Pots ting. and pans. <laughs> Stop making fun of uh, St. Anger. People like it. Oh, okay. I guess that's how things work. If someone somewhere likes a thing, you have to, you can't criticize it. It's fine. We're not, we don't have to go in there. Okay. Um... Uh, <laughs> I'm just trying to find my notes here. So, okay, yeah, they recorded the Prince Diamond Head Brand Fan by Budgie. Brett Fan's like probably my favorite cover. It's a great. Brett one. Fan to me feels like a classic Metallica song almost. Um, and it says that they recorded those two songs while waiting for Fleming to get there. Yeah. So that they could, uh, <laughs> what does it say here? So they could get into the vibe of the studio, which I think is weird 
because those songs sound great and have bass, and mm-hmm. we just sort of hit on that. But um, let's see. So, and both of those songs went on eventually to be the B sides to Harvester of Sorrow, right? Which was the first single, and then separately, I the Beholder, and then I the Beholder, and one yeah. each a piece, and then of course Garage Inc., yep. which we've done a couple of episodes on. It's crazy that like Mike Clink was not fired yet. As Fleming was just on a plane, they're like, "Hey, man, let's just." Record I wonder if these. it was like a Dave Mustaine sitch, like Mike or uh, Fleming gets there and they're like, "Hey, dude, you're out." Yeah, but I think Mike lived in L.A. No, yeah, he, he lives in L.A. But I think it was a thing where they're like, "Let's just kind of we're paying him already. Let's let's utilize him until Fleming lands, and then we'll you know give him the old axe." One of the that's crazy. One of the things I think about though, and I haven't read this, I haven't, I haven't really dived into what Mike's side is. I bet Mike felt the same way though. He yeah, probably felt like uh, he probably happened. felt like it's not working, right? No problem. Yeah. I, I don't think it was like, oh crap, oh man. He just made appetite for destruction. He didn't. Yeah, he he's fine. Yeah. Over. Yeah. He's fine. And lies, dude. And I, didn't he do illusion? He, he did. He, he did. did. And, he basically did everything Guns N' Roses and, did. And those two records, to me, are some of the best sounding rock and roll record. I mean, I, I'm a Usual Illusions cat, even right. more than Appetite. Yeah. And I think that we have Use Your Illusion 1 and 2 to thank for what became Load and Reload. I think Load and Reload, yeah, in many different right. ways, are Metallica seeing seeing that during the Black Album, right. touring right, with yeah, them. Yeah, for sure. Because when that shit came out, those two records were number one and number two. Yep. Same oh, yeah. day. Right. And Insane. I think they kind of thought, I know they released them a year apart, but yeah. anyway. This has all been said before. All been said before. Four. Keep going. I'm with you. No, no one's going to say it again. again. <laughs> yeah? But maybe, maybe I, I will say that fucking thing again. again. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Anytime you want to burst into the song, man, I'm right here with you for that fucking tight. I'm so damn. <laughs> I want to sing maybe a fucking song, song anytime I want. want to do. <laughs> I like Clint's want to do. <laughs> I know the addition was great. <laughs> I read the last. Read the next yes, note. No. <laughs> I get so confident for like a Come split second. Like, all right, I'm gonna do another line. Make time. it up. <laughs> and the second I start singing, all I think about is Clint. Clint following along. That's <laughs> want to do. Okay. Okay. <laughs> so Fleming's first job. Fleming's like, first job. <laughs> <laughs> This is so <laughs> stupid, dude. <laughs> I don't care. Good God. It's so fun. Okay. Good God. Okay. <laughs> it is. You guys, like, literally can't right now. I'm, like, literally dying. I'm literally Actually, dead. we are literally dying. Oh. Oh, whoa, bro. Back to Bummer. Welcome to Bummer Town. We are literally dying. dying. Okay. For real, I'm done singing. It is weird that the, his first job, Fleming's first job, when getting to L.A., was to fix the guitar sound. When he made Appetite Research, it was one of the best guitar sounding records of all time. Yeah. They are different things, though. Very different things, yeah. Very, yes. And I think I think the more I, I live with the great mystery of the sound of Injustice for All, the more it really does seem like Hetfield and Ulrich were going for this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mike, Mike, uh, uh, Mick Wall in the Inner Night talks about one of the first times that he heard it as a journalist, like Lars played it for him in a hotel room, and he said he he, he played the song "Injustice for All" like all nine fucking minutes of yeah. it, and he said he was just like he thought it was almost a joke. 
because it was so extreme. Mm-hmm. So different sounding from the last record. And in every way, like long, progressive, the tempo speeds up, slows down. The lyric was very political, yeah. which is kind of, it's kind of their only real political record. They don't really do that yeah. much. I mean, they dabble yeah. in politics, right. you know, but. I feel like that record is separate from all other other metallic records it does yeah. feel like it's in my mind like, i agree i'm with you yeah. there's a progression to kill them all lightning puppets and then there's just this fucking break with justice yeah. and then you get the black album yeah I which agree. is a huge departure from justice right yeah. you know what i mean and it never it never occupied that space ever again. i agree yeah you know? i'm with you it's weird sure. in, in some ways it does feel like the if if kill em all to lightning to puppets is like a road right it does feel like justice is like the end of the road yeah yeah but it is or it's like, or it's like a it's like a, a a quick like it's like the de- logical detour like hey let's get yeah. let's get off to the me, highway it's a for a second let's get off the highway here let's take a break try something new i just think it's it's then it's, hit another highway it's a logical yeah. conclusion to me in terms of yeah. like the progressiveness of puppets puppets yes. is a progressive metal song right but it's still kind of just thrash, pure thrash. Yeah. Or Disposable Heroes is like a progressive song. Right. Justice is like all progressive metal. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right? Like It is, yeah. And then, and then and then the sound of it you kind of wrench the sound of it into that too. It does that does make it like otherly. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. But they it is true. This is the last it's kind of the last real true thrash. Yeah, like a maybe Death Magnetic was returned to it. Yeah, it was. I mean, if you're Spit like an, if, maybe, if you're like but... an old school true and like you you got off the ride after or when the Black Album came out, Justice would be your last like saving grace for like no trues didn't like it, even though it was maybe a detour. Right. Yeah. Oh yeah. Maybe they didn't like the video. Maybe they didn't like how slow one was or something. Yeah. Maybe they didn't like the pluckety classical plucky of To Live Is to Die. Mm. But I've actually never heard any true that didn't like that. To Live Is to Die is one of the most badass songs. Oh, ever it's heard. awesome. Yeah. <laughs> right. Um. It's all interesting stuff, and we're going to actually talk. We're going to kind of do some final analysis on what was pretty important about Justice a little later. But let's just move on with some some of the more tactile facts. So Fleming had to fix the guitar sound. Um, maybe one of you guys, and in fact, maybe Brad can talk about this for a second. So a guide track for tempos and a click was used for Lars, which I think was the first time they really did that. So yeah, mm-hmm. can you explain like just the use of a click track? Because Brad's, you guys are both drummers, actually. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. So for a band like Metallica to make a record like Justice, which the songs are long, windy, lots of different riffs and parts, sometimes different time signatures, what would be the benefit of a click track? What does that do? Why would they do that? Well, if you're going to be meticulous with things... Which I think there's some meticulous vibes going on. (laughs) Exactly. Right? Like... And the departure from like, think about them with Kill, Kill Em All. You don't think it's real raw. It's like, yeah, it's real raw and just yeah. nasty and whatever. Yeah, totally. And this is all so tight. And especially if you're not, you know, not that this is part of the plan, but when you're thinking about justice for me anyway, if you're not going to have any bass on the record to kind of glue things together, then you shit's got to be tight. Well, yeah. it, and it, it <laughs> you know, is like, yeah, it really, every, no, it totally every kick drum, every chugga chugga. Yeah. I think I mean they spent a lot of time on this record, and I think mapping out a click track, especially back right. then on, on two inch tape, mm-hmm. was probably pretty tough. Real tough. But uh, what, they, would like they the song use, in, what would they use for a click track? How would they do? I that mean, they then? had that kind of stuff back in the day. But like, what what I imagine they probably did was like, here's the demo. Um, they li- 
maybe mapped out the entire song like on paper, like, all right, here's the intro, verse, chorus, blah, 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 right. tempo change here. What tempo do we want to go to? They probably printed a click track to tape mm. of that. And at this simple. point, this is where it slows down. Right. I'm, I mean, because like no, the song in Justice for All has... Ba -boom, ba -boom, boom, go, 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 it like go, go, slows go. down. Yeah, yeah, it does the whole, the whole like, you know... Um, and then it, when it goes back to that, it slows yeah. way down for that. Totally, yeah. and especially when you're talking about like section. If there's going to be a whole section tempo change, but the bookends are the same. Be, I mean, I remember. I mean, I. Yeah, I mean, I remember. Even if it was on ADA and not tape, my earliest uh, studio experiences, and I remember like there would be the click sent, the metronome sent right, to whoever yeah. was playing. And then there's a section that's a different tempo. A lot of times, especially if the band was playing live or whatever, they would just get muted, mm. right? So it would go to, to the like, band. Go and they would go full on live like for that one time. section, yeah. right? And yeah, then yeah. the engineer would know, okay, that was the last note. Boom! They hit the click back in. Yeah, and totally. the band picks back up on the. And click. And they were still you know? punching, right? Like so. It was, oh, for sure. They, had they were still able to like. I, I bet they're if they did map the click and not do the free time thing. Right. I bet they had times where they're like, "All right, let's roll back the tape and let's yeah. try to get yeah, that yeah, yeah, right. for sure." Again. Yeah. But I mean, like this is obviously like way before Pro Tools, and like this is something that's certain songs in this record are like it's so meticulous and perfect that like you have to be punching. It's like if Lars messes up something, all right, let's find a little spot where we can punch in. And the thing with tape, uh, recording tape oh, is, God. if you're punching in, sometimes it's like a good, clean punch, but w like once you punch and you finish out that take, you have to go back and re-listen to where that punch is to make sure you you it's don't hear clean. like weird, like, you know, well, little you click would, or pop or something. You would splice tape. I mean, you splicing tape and gluing that thing together you tape, was like yeah, a, tape it back together, a big yeah, it's, deal. You it's, know? A, it's an art form for sure. Well, and that's the whole thing talking about being meticulous in a band that came up the way they did. Like, all that stuff, working with tape and over... I mean, when you watch Year and a Half in Life and you see those scenes where they're just in a whole B room mm -hmm. just to cut, yeah, literally razor blade cut tape. I yeah. think it took all him his six fills. months just to edit yeah. the drums. Well, we Holy talked about shit. earlier on this episode. You gotta have a guide track for all that stuff, man. Yeah, yeah. and earlier in this episode we talked about like, uh, uh, who was it that was talking about like if you pull those tapes out today, there's so many St uh, Steve Thompson. Steve Thompson. Steve Thompson yeah. So many cuts and splices in that He said it would probably tape. like fall apart or right. something. So they, they I, I, what we assume is they, they heavily cut up this tape and edit it together to make it as perfect as possible. Mm -hmm. Exactly how they wanted There's to There's a really great story to illustrate this. So the Beatles Abbey Road, right? The big second half that's like a big medley. You can hear all the edits because those were all just different yeah. portions of song. Polythene Pam and uh, Golden Slumbers, The Weight. The record ends with, and in the end, the love you take is equal to the love bum, 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 you make. It's like this great ending, right? Right. And then at the very end of that, you hear this little song called Her Majesty. And yeah. it's like Paul. Her Majesty's a pretty nice girl. Ain't got a lot to say. It's like a really weird song. Yeah. Want to tell her love is so, but I got to get a belly full of wine. Her Majesty's a pretty nice girl, so damn want to make her mine. That was a splice of tape from them recording it months before. Right, yeah. That they found just sitting on top of like a cabinet. I'm sure, yeah. And they felt like Jeez. the whole like in the end, the love you make is you love you take was kind of like a little too heavy for the last Beatle right. statement. I, I think it's pretty awesome. So they just spliced that tape that they literally like blew off a cabinet. Hey, John, hey John can we put in some, a little cute part well, of me? If you want me to put it me? on, Paul, I'll put it on. If you want me to be silly about imagine Well, I just think that we should put this little cute part of me, uh, Paul, on the end of the record. I can shake my head back and forth like this. <laughs> I think the I think the chicks will dig it. 
I know it's pretty good, Paul, right? Paul? Paul. Paul. Yeah, it's still not here. No. Pablo. <laughs> no? no? Pablicio. No, not here. Pueblo. All right, where are we at on this? Oh, I did think this was interesting. So we're still talking about tape, right? We're in tape world. Right. Tape world. Um, so each song, on average, took three reels of tape. A whole reel for drums, a reel for bass and guitar, and then yeah. a reel for like everything else, which would be Overdub vocals, stuff. overdubs, yeah. percussion. Maybe well, they printed there, the reverb or something. There's not much, and I hope we, we see this in the Injustice for All 30th Anniversary box set. There's not a lot of documentation of this recording session. But yeah. if you go online, you can find a picture of yeah. Lars's kit at One by One all mac'd up and it's fucking gigantic yeah, like way more than he ever toured so. with right so it's no, it's no surprise that one reel of tape took up Lars's kit I mean that's probably 16 tracks that's, of just drums absolutely yeah well and I'm, I and then when you add overdubs and punches and trying yeah. to get it right and bone crushing and yeah. god I just glad I don't do that kind of work where I had to, to uh, sync up three two inch tape machines to you know what I mean? oh yeah what totally well you know nightmare. they didn't know that it was that bad. That was just normal. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. They weren't like, man, I wish we had Pro Tools. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? <laughs> Why can't we record in GarageBand? It wasn't an option that they our, turned down. operating software on our MacBooks. <laughs> <laughs> That's so true. Uh, you know, but I think that I think that one of the pitfalls of St. Anger, which there are many, is that they got a little too into the Pro Tools. Right. The, 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 the convenience the copy of it. Edit, the convenience. cut splice. Yeah. Makes you lazy. It it, and it even make I mean I experienced that as a producer and a songwriter. It's I mean like, to this day, like uh, sometimes we're like uh, we're recording Logic right now, or it's like you can just oh let's just copy and paste that and we'll repeat it and that'll be the chorus sure. or whatever. You know, it's way easier rather than like actually all right, you want to repeat that chorus? Well, let's fucking hit record and play it again. You know, <laughs> right. nowadays it's easy just to repeat that. Let's talk about the lyrics just briefly. Uh, so the lyrics were written during the sessions, which means that James, it's weird. He's one of the he's one of my favorite songwriters obviously and he's one of the only ones i know who do it this way where you know they made the nine demos in the carlson garage i haven't heard these demos but if they're like all the other demos i've heard it's yeah. it's the song kind of fully formed except for him mumbling the melody right and he tends to write the lyrics during or after they've recorded everything yeah I almost, it's amazing that they're so good i know right I, I almost feel like he that he really wants to sit down with the song, pretty much complete minus his vocal to like really feel the vibe of it, see where it's going, see where it ends up, see where it lands on, and then go okay, now I want to put lyrics on that, right? Like rather than like putting putting lyrics on the first you know round of demos, you know, to him he might feel like well my best stuff won't come out with that version, my best stuff will come out with the final version. I've just written so many songs where. A lyric really changed the direction of the music too. Oh like, yeah, for sure. Or you even build or, build a song around a lyric, or you hear something that like uh, you know if you, even if you're writing a melody to someone else's you know a band that's bringing you music for for example right if you're the yeah. front man and stuff it's like I might love the whole thing but just go like oh but I want to change the melody to this here so can you play this. Uh, every second time, right. form. you know what I mean. You, right. The melody, oftentimes, it starts makes to little dictation, right? Exactly, and to be be confined, like hearing that described, like how he does it, sounds like like I would feel boxed confined. in. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I would feel, which you know, obviously, it works for them. I mean, maybe mm -hmm. that's. I think we've talked about it before. Like, I wouldn't mind trying to write 
some of the lunar. I'm gonna do that. Well, with that the, one that you're I gonna wrote. send me that lunar yeah. Satan yeah. tune. That it's pretty much you got to finish it. I think it needs like a little bridge and then repeat, and a solo repeat, or something. But yeah. I like the idea a lot of you just finishing it as a piece. Yeah. And then I'll put the satanic poetry in it. <laughs> I, I, I like that. I don't know, as a songwriter, I don't know how well it's going to work for me, yeah. but I would love to I've try I've done that with, with, with people I've written with, and like now I'm not as much of a writer as you guys are with other people. But like, um, I have a friend named Mindy who we've written here and there just like over the years. And we wrote this really cool kind of throwback uh, Amy Winehouse-ish kind of song. Cool. And I just wrote all the music, and I was like, this is pretty cool. And this is before I even thought about her. I was like, you know, I wonder if Mindy would be into something like this. I just sent it to her. And, like, the next day, she sent me a demo back with her vocal on it. And it was like, holy shit. Like, she wrote, she didn't ask me to change a thing about it. Mm, that's cool. Some singers, maybe they need to hear the final thing to really hear the, like, yeah, see, see I get that. where it's I going. really liked it. Could you just change a few things? Mainly the intro, verse one, verse two, chorus one, verse three, bridge, chorus maybe three, chorus four. Maybe the second bridge out solo. <laughs> Vamp. Yeah, change that. So, Jam. okay, let's talk a little bit about Jason. Um I do think this is weird. You know, Hetfield and Ulrich are known as control freaks. Uh They write the record, and then they leave him. He does all of his bass parts in a day with the engineer, who was Toby Wright, by the way. And not even Fleming was there. So it's just Jason and an engineer, which, you know, engineers are there to make sure shit sounds right and it's getting recorded Mm -hmm. well. Nothing's clipping and everything's as great as it can be. That's their gig. It's like they knew it was going to happen. It's like, it's an odd negligence for a record. By the way, we're going to get into how well it did. Like, number six on the Billboard 200, platinum within six weeks. Yeah. With no radio. They knew it was going to be big. It just, it's a fucking mystery. Until until finally, Ethan. Finally. We are sitting with James. Because we're going to ask the, we're going to ask the big questions. Yeah. I'm going to ask every question to him that I've longed to see in print and in media and interviews. I want to make a fucking list, and I want to know. I want to hear from him. Like, why weren't why weren't you guys there? That's why wasn't Fleming there? Yeah. If I'm the if producer. I'm paying Fleming Rasmussen to fly over from fucking Denmark and be the producer of my neck, the follow up to Master of Puppets, his yeah. ass better. If I'm gonna not be there because I gotta go, whatever, skateboard or go to the monsters or play a gig at Monsters of Rock with Van Halen, your ass better be there making sure it's good. Well, I can only imagine yeah. that the Fleming was probably with Lars and James somewhere else. They're like, yeah, Jason will be fine. Let him record the bass. He's just repeating my rhythm parts. Uh, We're going to duck it down it's, anyway. It's, it's, it's sort of a mistake, just, right? Yeah. As a producer. Seems doesn't weird. that sound weird to you, well, Brad? Well, and it sounds like out of character for the, I, them. Well, that's like what you said. It, it's like it's like, yeah. it's like they, it's like it was part of the hazing. Yeah. Maybe it was. Fuck. <laughs> I mean, maybe, maybe James and Lars knew, like, hey, we're going to tuck this bass down quite a bit i mean we'll, we'll hear we'll hear from steve who mixed the record in here in a second and well so the claim yeah the claim has been and i think i've heard jason say it on that uh whatever that big interview he did we all know it I, don't email me about that either but we all know loudwire i think or? i don't think oh maybe it is loudwire but it's that guy scuzzy or fuzzy or fizzy <laughs> yeah it's, it's fizzy yeah. is it fizzy it's fizzy yeah F- fizzy the clown yeah <laughs> from killer clowns from outer space yep he says, and I've and Kirk said this too on the. He was recently a guest on the Gilbert Gottfried podcast, which is a very interesting interview with Kirk, mostly about horror movies. But they say this is what they say, and I'm interested to get you guys' opinion on this too. The bass notes were fighting the frequency of the guitars and therefore canceled each other out. Now, that sounds yeah. like not, that sounds like it, bullshit it's not, it's to me. Not how it works? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> they would. They don't. It's not like phasing in a way where it's like, like for example. 
when James was cutting the vocals for the Black Album, he did it without headphones, and they had the mains pointed in a way that the way they they didn't bleed into the mic because of some weird technical engineering phasing thing. Right, yeah. Now, that's, that's a thing. Right. That's a physics but recording, right, thing. Recording <laughs> like, bass onto a record, even if you're playing the exact same riff as Hetfield, and it and, it's and, not a frequency thing. It's, it's a volume not, thing. It's not the well. It's also it's not the same same frequency. It's not the same frequency. No, yeah. I mean because you're playing in a in, different octave. octave even lower. if you're playing unison, quote unquote, or even if you're playing right, the same, same riff, melody, right? Even if even if Jason plugged into the same exact amp that Hetfield recorded the rhythm guitars with, the same tone didn't touch a knob. It would still make the record sound more bassy. And if someone was trying to talk about phase, then that means that that means that you would have a hard time hearing the guitar too, right? Well, because those things have to be out of phase with each other. Let's let's listen to so Steve Thompson, who mixed the record. He bl- he basically <laughs> lays it at Lars's feet. Yeah, yes, yeah, yeah. And basically says that uh, it was so bad that like La- Lars is basically saying, "Turn the drums and guitars up. Turn the bass down." Yeah, you can my drums this way. And it was so bad that he even wanted to quit. He yeah. even wanted to like leave the project. Yeah. So let's hear from Steve himself yeah. about the lack of bass in Injustice for All. Here let's we do go. It. You know, we get called up to do Injustice for All and understand uh, Metallica was my favorite band. I mean, you know, I wanted to take Injustice for All and make Master Puppets sound like a demo. I mean, that was my, my, my goal. And But, you know, they wanted a different direction. They wanted more of a garagey direction. So what I can remember is I was working with my partner, Mike Barbiero. We get in and start mixing this, the songs. And... Lars had a specific way how he wanted his drums to sound. He would actually bring in pitches of an EQ setup. And uh, so I told Mike Barbier, I said, Mike, why don't you work with, with Lars and get the drums the way he likes it? And why don't you get that, call me in. So they spent a lot of time getting the drum sounds and everything like that. And so I walk in, Lars goes, yeah, I'm happy and everything like that. And I listened to it. And I said, this sounds like shit. I hate the sound. So I chased everybody out of the room. I think I had Hetfield in the room. I kind of changed the drum sound to make you know more what I was hearing. Then we put on the bass, the guitars, everything like that. And what was cool about Jason's parts, they were a perfect marriage with Hetfield's rhythm guitars. It was a great marriage. Worked out great. And so I'm getting the mix up and everything like that. Hetfield gives the thumbs up. So we decided to let Lars and everybody come in. So Lars comes in. And again, this is a long time ago. I'm trying to make sure I got the right memory here. And he walks in. He listens to it back a couple of seconds. He goes, he, he shakes his head. He says, stop tape. I said, what's the problem? Uh, what happened to my drum sound? And I think I basically said, you were serious? <laughs> so we had, a long story short, we had to get the drum sound the way he wanted. And I'm, I'm like, oh, God, here we go. And he goes, okay, now the bass. And I said, great part. All right, I want you to drop the bass level down in the mix where you barely audibly can hear it. I thought it was a joke. So I did that. And then for this, I said, all right, drop it down another 6 to 8 dB. I looked at Hetfield like this. I said, is this guy serious? And Hetfield went like this. Okay. So when that happened, I said, you know, the vision, again, I understand. It's their record. It's not my record. But, you know, I had a, a, a... Again, I can't, at the end of the day, if the band wants something, regardless of what I think or say, it's their record. They have to have final say. I get that. But I was so pissed off the way this was sounding, I called up my managers and I said, I love this band, but their direction, I'm not going to be happy with. Find somebody else to do this record. 
And at the time, Cliff Bernstein and Peter Mensch were managing the band. They talked us into staying with it and everything like that. And I'm saying to myself, why are you doing this? I didn't realize, obviously, with the Cliff Burton death, I didn't, and the razzing, uh, uh, again, I wasn't around with Newstead when he was getting uh, tormented, I guess. But I guess it was like a college uh, prank thing or whatever. But I didn't understand the politics of that until later. And then um, I was unhappy. I mean, my biggest downfall is I wish we were just jumping from project to project. I wish I would have said, you know what? When they leave, because they were on the Monsters of Rock tour, they would fly in from helicopter to like come and improve mixes during that. I wish I spent a week or two after that just to mix it the way I heard it. At least have that. Because understand that the multi-track tapes had about 5 million edits on the multi-track. Which means, uh, you open that tape up today, chances are that whole multi-track is shredded. And I wish I would have mixed it the way I heard it, but here's the funny story. When Metallica got elected to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, they flew us in. And um, so I get there, I think I was working in Canada at the time, so I flew in for the day or something like that into Cleveland. So I'm hanging out with Lars, and Lars comes up to me. We did have bass in the record, didn't we? I couldn't believe he said that. He said something that he was with his kids. <coughs> yeah. And I says, you're kidding me. You're absolutely kidding me. And it was kind of funny because I was hanging out with Jimmy Page there too. And uh, I mean, I have so much respect for that band, you know? I mean, I just wish I could have mixed it the way I heard it. That's all, you know? Simple as that. And then when the Black album came out, and I says, okay, I guess they listened a little bit. But, you know, it is what it is. I mean, I'm, I'm inclined to believe Steve. I believe what Steve. What does he have to gain? I believe Nothing. in I It be makes the most I sense. I believe Steve. I believe Steve. I believe in Steve. I believe Steve. I believe Steven. I believe Steve. WNBC. WNBC. No, I really do. I mean, it's, it's no secret that Lars is a very controlling person when it comes to the recordings especially. And for him to, you know, like what Steve was just talking about, where he's like, Lars was in the room, nobody would, it was just Steve and James. Listening to the mixes, you know, Lars told me, yeah, you cue the drums this way, and they did it, and he was like, no, that sounds like shit, and he changed it. Got it sounding good. He even, he even brings up that James was like, thumbs up, yeah, that sounds great. Lars comes in and was like, no, what happened to my drums? <laughs> yeah. Turn the bass down, all this stuff. It's Remember, like, we, Wagner talked about that, too. Yeah. So we also, if you haven't heard it, we, we have an episode with uh, the lovely Michael Wagner, who great mixed guy. That was a great episode. I'm not, and, uh, yeah. dude, man, we got to go to his studio and just sit I in know. that room. It's awesome. And, you know, we were, we, we were kind of wigged out on that a little bit. It was rad. I mean, it's pretty much like the, the first room you walk in, like before you get actually into the control room or tracking room, is about as big as HQ1 here. Right. And it's just lined with gold records. I bet. I mean, lined. It's not like, there's not one, like shred a space where you can put another one but he talked about because you know cliff cliff was oddly kind of hands off yeah cliff would just like as soon as his ass was done because <clears throat> you know they made ride the lightning and puppets in copenhagen he was like fuck this i'm out he would even miss the plane to go out there yeah he just wouldn't show up to the airport yeah so anyway he said like you know when we were mixing puppets i had the guitar player right here and i had the drummer right here to my left and like kirk was in the corner and cliff was gone just the battle for volume for their respective instruments yeah it's so weird how such a silly thing played such a big part in the records that are so important to us totally you know yeah absolutely why did you just cringe did you make a cringy uh, i 
move the mic, and then I was afraid that I just made a, make a little really peak, loud peak. Fine. You can just, you just do this to a mic. No one cares. Now, I thought this was interesting, this angle on it. So regarding this whole fucking situation, New said, told Loudwire in 2013, he says, Historically, Justice stands up over time. Maybe not the mix, but the songs do. He says, The other day, a kid came up to me and gave me and Jason for all, which is the... The bass up. The bass up mix It's like a Justice. fan remix version. And right. Jason says, this guy gave him and Jason for all. He's remixed the bass tracks back into Justice. He was like, dude, this is for you, how it's supposed to be. And Jason says, I think how it was supposed to be is how it came out, how it made its mark on the world. Yeah, that's a good point. Which I is mean, true. That's why, as it's we've... True. as It's super true, right? So as we've done this podcast... I think we've talked about before, like, yeah, we want to hear the bass, a bass yeah. version in this new I mean, new I still thing. do. I still do, Yeah, but I wonder if I would listen to it more than one time, because the sound of justice is the fucking sound of justice. Right. It is, yeah. I'm even starting to feel that way about Death Magnetic. Like, yeah. the problems are sort of part of what that record See, sounds like. But that's right. the thing. Like, you guys, I was thinking about this earlier. We were talking, I don't remember if it was before we started recording or not, but Megadeth and... I don't like. I don't hate Megadeth or whatever, no, but I never. Hello, I was, Brett. Hello, Bone they, never, they also never like totally grabbed me either. Right. You know what Same. I mean? Like I wasn't waiting for the next Megadeth Same. record every time. But but there's something consistent about Megadeth in a negative way, meaning like it's a blandness there, almost. Exactly, and with Metallica, like I really do. Th- in my head it's almost like visual like the records and the ones that are kind of clumped together in my head and mm-hmm. yeah. the ones that are kind of off on their own a little bit I agree and you know St. Anger is off on its own for me in a bad way mm-hmm. I, I fucking hate the record <laughs> you know what I mean right, like right. Uh, but Justice is also off on its own yes, for totally. me and it's my favorite record and that's what there's and then there's load and reload. You know what I mean? It's like these dudes like take fucking chances to try and make something because they don't want to totally. do the same fucking thing over like, and yeah. over and over oh, and over yeah. again. They're true artists. That's they why can. they're amazing. They can't. Yeah. You, know? <laughs> you know, like we um, we have a little um, a record player on our bus that we kind of plug into the thing. And you uh, two reissued pop and all that you can't leave behind on vinyl. So I've been taking some of my records really? out on the road. Yeah. Okay. All you can't leave behind. Yeah. I've got the original pressing of that. No shit, really? That's probably shit. pretty valuable. Is it? Well, it came out in 2000. I, mean, I better check Discogs. But anyway, that got us talking about... Uh, well, so Octune Baby is not... You can only buy Octune Baby like in a $150 box set. But we were talking about Octune Baby. So someone in the band like was just asking. They didn't know much about you 2 And they were like, uh, so what happened after the Joshua Tree? You know, It's like, well... They made like their greatest record to date, right? And then they kind of made an experimental rattle and hum. They made a movie and shit, and then they instead of making Joshua Tree Part Two, they went and made Octune Baby, which is this very European mm. ironic record. And then just the nineties were just like this whole era of experimentation, right? I know that Metallica and you uh, two are different bands, but I see that like the great artists Prince, Michael Jackson, Madonna, they all Metallica, have Creed. <laughs> Well, they're not. They have that thread of like Metallica could have made whatever part two. They never. The only record they made a part two of is Load and Reload. Right. That's because there was too much material and they were basically Which is trying really to really record at the same time. So it's all. It's basically it's all a double album. Thing, yes. It's right. their white album or yes. whatever. But they've all their records are, you know, well, I, these I, people are not risk averse. Like they don't care. 
they they don't mind taking a risk. No, they do it for and them. They, they believe, do it for themselves. I think they, they have to. When they to. do what they do, they yeah. do it hard. Yes. So when they did say anger, yeah. they, they fucking they, did that's it That's true. Hard. As much as we, don't, true. As much as we don't like saying anger, like they committed to it. And I, I admire that. I do too. I admire I that they put the it out. I the record. I sure. think it's super important for their story. The, the, Agreed. I mean, yeah. like it totally. needs to be there. Well, and it, it, I mean, we, yeah, we've talked about this a lot, but in a lot of ways it saved them. And there's no death. I fully believe this. There's no death magnetic without saying anger. Oh yeah. There's no hardwired without saying anger. Agreed. I fully not. believe it. There's no Lulu without saying anger. Well, and that's, they mm. fucking, there's no it. Lulu without original sin coming into the world. <laughs> but think about that though. Like how bleak that was for those of us, those of us, those of us that don't like saying, say anger. And then, to have gotten death magnetic and then for me personally like I think hardwired is the shit I, so I think it's so fucking awesome. that record so much and they kept at it they mm-hmm. could have said we're rich as fuck yeah and we're done they could have said a million different things but instead they, they said that after the black album absolutely I mean, <laughs> right? absolutely Maybe before sure. too yeah but definitely after black album oh for sure yeah and that's also why they're one of those Metallica is one of those bands when they say it's done I'll Feel okay, I, I will yeah. trust that. True, like well, I mean? true. Like, like the conversations about could they go do something to Saint Anger to blah blah. It's like, well, I mean, I guess, I guess so. But what's that going to really accomplish? It is what it is. Right. It, it came out as what it needed to be at the time, yeah. and it's what allowed us to have these next two great records. And, and it takes and and whether we're talking about Saint Anger or Justice or whatever, to, even for me for Load and Reload, they have their own kind of flavor and charm yeah. right. in a way that bands that just repeat success, repeat a formula for success, yeah. where it just sort of fades into nothingness of like, oh, well, okay. Mm-hmm. Pearl Jam's a band that, that I think is similar. Right. They didn't just repeat success. Like I lumped the first two records together. Third record's a complete anomaly. The fourth record's No Code is completely insane, which I did an episode with you guys on that. Yield is its... I mean, all their records have their own flavor. Right, yeah. Right. Yeah. I think their last two are like sister records, Lightning yeah. Bolt and Backspacer, but... Lightning Bolt's so good, man. Dude, I Love think Lightning Bolt is so good. Yeah, it's so good. That made me so happy when both those bands put out a tenth, like, full-length Dude. record, mm-hmm. and they both kicked ass. Both how, how, lucky, how lucky are we? I mean... Yeah, I, seriously. You know, like, one of my favorite podcasts is this KISS podcast called Podcast Rock <clears throat> City, and... You know, Kiss is such a fun, crazy band. They've got a lot of records, a lot of history. They changed the face of music. They're also one of the silliest bands in the world. And they haven't made a good record in a long time. So so they don't get to have that excitement of, like, our band that we're doing the podcast about is still making relevant music. Like, Pearl Jam is playing stadiums right now. They're doing these home shows. And the Chicago stuff soon, too. They're doing Wrigley next week, right? Or they were in Seattle this week. Uh Metallica sold out stadiums. They're yeah. doing a European stadium run. They're going to yeah. come back and do arenas again. Yeah. And Hardwired's good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very, very good. Very good. <laughs> okay, so um, I, I did appreciate Jason's uh, perspective on that. Justice is what it was. It made the yeah. market needed to make. Uh, it's known predominantly, <coughs> of course, as the progressive thrash metal record, the long, complex songs. James said, and I kind of dug this, he said that uh, the writing of that record, the songwriting, was them showing off. Yeah. They were basically flexing the muscle. Yeah. Let's see how far we can take this. And I, I'm glad they did that, but I'm also glad that they they got it out. They got the lead out. You know what they flex are 24-inch pythons, as the Hulkster would say? And um, they made a great record, brother. Oh, the Hulk, I was wondering if the Hulkster was going to make it. What's oh, up, brother, I've been listening this whole time. <laughs> Where have you been? In the, clo- in the laundry room? No, brother, I've been just sitting back listening to, just listening to the Bone Crusher. <laughs> I want him to be my tag team partner. I do have a friend named Joyce who would like to talk to you for a second. Who's Joyce? 
Uh, hi, ho- hold on. Who <laughs> can do her voice? Who He's wearing yellow spandex. He rips it apart. Who does that? His I, mother. I do it, it, sister. Your mother probably sewed it and knit it together for you. How many of those leotards you have hanging in your closet? A million? What do you think? Yellow leotards that you rip from your pythons grow on trees? Who does this? Listen, sister, I do it. I got many, many, many closets full of the yellow spandex. Oh, they. And my mother never sewed those things together. They're made to tear apart. It's for the fans, sister. Oh, he's got fans. I see. Yeah, he's in his little room. Let me tell you something, sister. There's many Hulkamaniacs around the world that love to see me rip off my yellow spandex. He's always telling me something. Who does this? Who talks like this? Listen, you talk, I talk. We're having a conversation. You Let me tell you something, Joyce. Here he goes again. Jesus. Oy vey. Who does that? <laughs> hey, brother. <laughs> hey, brother. Who does that? Uh, I love that you just did basically like a female Woody Allen. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not smart enough to do that. I would have to mix in a bunch of so not true. A bunch it's of kind of the New York kind of thing. Shit. Like it's a you know who does that? <laughs> okay, uh, it's the Lobster Squad. <laughs> you see the Monster Squad? Lobster. Oh squad gosh, that's, a, that's a great movie. <sighs> all right, Jesus, we've talked about this enough. Let's let's move on. So, all right, we're gonna hear some clips later too. Now, what's really interesting about this? So, they announced the title of the record in April. It's gonna be called Injustice for All. Ooh. Oh, oh my god This shit's gonna be Fucking dark And crazy Or it's just gonna be The Pledge of Allegiance For 90 minutes Yeah <laughs> There was no they, internet There's no one knew <laughs> No one knew And it could literally be Only 50, those 50. two yeah. things yeah. I pledge allegiance To down, the flag down, down, down. Of the United <laughs> States Of Metallica So while they were And to the mechanics <laughs> For which it stands From May to July they were basically doing this Monsters of Rock tour, which they're now like staples of Monsters of Rock. Right, They've done yeah. them every year since like 85. And uh, they did these two warm-up shows at the historic Troubadour in West Hollywood. Been there. In which the first night, they so May 23rd and 24th is when they played the Troubadour. And these were like warm-up shows for the Monsters of Rock shit. On night one of that, they debuted Harvester of Sorrow live. I love like, like side B of the record. That's the song they debut. Great song, love it. I love that song so much. You would think they would come out like a lot of times when bands do like are, are about yeah about putting out a new mm-hmm. record. They're like, let's play the opening track. Like that'd be so bitching. Yeah, but they choose yeah. Harvester of Sorrow. It's cool, very cool. Um, so then after that was basically from May 27th through July 27th, they played the Van Halen Monsters of Rock tour in the states. Van Halen, Scorpions, Dokken, and Kingdom Come, uh, and James and Lars were flying in and out from that tour which that tour was crazy man that tour was like they'd be in Miami one night Washington State yeah DC the Midwest I mean they were doing a lot of heavy traveling right so to do all that plus you're flying to LA like I wonder if because we've all done that right just the insanity of tour oh yeah yeah while on tour you're worried about like the creative endeavors of a record maybe you're getting you know obviously these days we wouldn't be flying to mix but like I've been on the road before getting mixed notes yeah or, you know, Lisa's record, which I co-wrote much of it with her. She's sending me, like, roughs. And she wants my opinion. Yeah. But I'm fucking hungover, or I'm on a bus, and I'm li- only listening on my in-ears. Or, like, I wonder how much of that psychological state contributed to... Maybe so, I mean... The sort of ugly duckling, odd anomaly sound 
of Injustice for All. I mean, it sounds like, I mean, from what I can gather, it sounds like they, they went into this record knowing very well, like, this is what it's going to sound like. I think that's it, true. Especially Lars. I think that's true. I think James was open to it. It was when Steve talks about, like, oh, yeah, well, I, I dialed up a mix and James was into it. Lars came in and shut it down. Hmm. I feel like the direction of this record sonically was more of a Lars thing, in, in my humble opinion. One of the interesting things, Kirk, I totally agree with you about Kirk... Sometimes listening to a Kirk interview, you feel like you're riding a wave that you hope crashes without any casualties. Exactly, yeah. And in that interview with Gilbert Gottfried, one of the interesting things he says about that is he's like, you know, we really were just trying to do something different. We didn't know at the time it would go on to be such a, like, talked about thing. Sure. He's like, even we moved on from it. Like, we tried it. There were things we liked about it. Like they're like you're saying Lars had an idea. There are things that we kind of landed about it, things that after we heard it, we were like, Steve Thompson even tells a story about when they got inducted in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. They invited him and like Wagner and like all the people part of their history. Right. Yeah. And he says one of the first things he said to Steve Thompson was like, "Hey man, did we really not put bass on that record?" Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and he was like, "Yeah." He was like, "Yeah." I mean, that was a thing. Yeah, I love the end of that clip we played earlier. He was just like, "All I want to do is just like have the mix." Like, like he goes, "The way he heard." He goes, "Yeah, I should." She goes, "I should have done a separate batch of mixes the way yeah, I wanted to hear it." I wish he had fucking done that. Me too. I would love to, to hear. hear and it's not a thing like we talk about now where it's like, I just want a bass up mix. I would love to hear what Steve's initial vision was. Like, if the band was in the studio and they said, hey, we trust you, mix the record. He, well, he, he said in that clip, he said, I want to make it sound like Master Puppets is a demo. Well, you see, he said he wanted to quit, right? Yeah, well, he didn't want to seem attached point, to yeah. it. Yeah. I mean, and, and if you think about it, right, if you separate, if I separate, you know, the 10 or 11-year-old me that, knew nothing about music where I just loved what I was hearing right and now working in a studio and whatever when I think about it as if I was a big mix guy like I that's a bad mix yeah (laughs) it's not a good mix right well think about think about how bad it must have really been because how good would that look on how good would it look on your resume to have mixed that after Mm -hmm. puppets right and you know he heard the material it's a barn burner. It's fucking awesome. Yeah, totally. But then once he starts to see the direction that one Danish drummer we know of wanted to take it, he wanted to quit the gig. Yeah. That that's yeah, that he, says a he lot. He got talked in stand though. I mean, yeah. Well, I think Q, yeah, he talks about how Q Primer basically like you're not quitting the fight. You, yeah, you right. got to mix the record, dude. Well, we have was, a deadline. And he, well, and, and he, he said was a fan too, too. Like, you know, I understand it's not my record. They're the They're client the at the end yeah. of the day, and if yeah. that's what they and want, then so that's what being, I'm supposed to be. He's being professional, yeah. you know. Yeah. But and so to that to that we say it's a great fucking mix. Well, if you want me to take the bass out, Paul, I'll do it. If you want me to go home, I'll but go home. Lars does approach shit not f- from what to me isn't like intuitively musical. Like he, I think he looks at things like painting. Yeah, and visual art. Does that make sense? Like, oh, okay, I can just course, see yeah. him being like, "I want everything fucking dry." Even if he wasn't using these words, "dry in your fucking face." <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, well, may- maybe that was take, the whole. I mean, he said like, uh, I mean, what, what based about on that clip? He said, "Take the bass out." Right. You know what I mean? Like, well, I mean, take it down six more dB. Then well, you. That's a lot. Yeah, what about this theory? The what, what if Lars like knew exactly what he was doing? He's like, "Let's bring the bass down six to eight dB to where it's almost inaudible." Everyone's going to be talking about this. It's all it's going to do is make this put more of a spotlight on this record. That does well, that does inject a sort of Machiavellian, Trumpy, Trumpian, yeah, genius yeah. into it. Trumptonian. It might have just been a mistake. Yeah, like because I've I've actually seen people say that about Sanger. Like, 
well, it's one of the most talked about records of all time, which is true. Yeah. But for all the wrong reasons. Right. For sure. The Black Album is also one of the most talked about records of all time because it's so fucking good. For all the right reasons. Yeah, but I think Lars... Which, by the way, is the name of a Nickelback record. For all the right reasons? All the right reasons. Cool, man. But (laughs) the thing is that I feel like Lars will make just a crazy decision like that. Like, and... And he's lucky that he has a songwriter like James Hetfield in his band. Right. And I know he is a huge contributor to that too or whatever, but like at the end of the day, it doesn't matter where the mix is because the songs and the performances are fucking mm-hmm. well, right. great. I still listen to it on the rig. Yeah. It, doesn't, I mean, it doesn't matter. I, I've, I fucking slammed it today and yeah. I was literally loving every second of it. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah. Oh, yeah. Just it was making me feel joyful. I've heard Black in a million times. As I heard that backwards guitar thing swell mm-hmm. up, I felt the same excitement I did when I was fucking eight years old. Yeah. So, oh, yeah. And I think this whole deal with Lars, maybe it was Lars making kind of a quirky PC. I make it more purple and right, whatever. Exactly. Yeah. That's kind of ultimately what we love about him. Yep. Yeah. It is totally okay. Um. So they're on this tour, and I so I wanted to. We have a clip of the Monsters of Rock tour, which I thought, I thought was interesting. It's an a cool little interview with them at the time, a little window into what it was like for them being on that tour and knowing that during that they had already recorded what would go on to be one of their, it's their second highest selling record of all time. Right, yeah. We just always try and keep it at, at open mind, as open mind as possible and I think over the last couple of years we've been putting a lot of categories that I think are too limiting for what we try and do which we, we try and sort of do a lot of different things. We like doing slower, ballady type things. We like doing the fast. So it's like, we have like a certain area where we feel comfortable operating in and I just hate when people try and limit us or limit, you know, what they allow us to do or whatever. So, you know, that's the babe, the whole attitude of Metallica. On this type of tour, you have to wake up like at about 11 o'clock. And you're on stage by 2.30, which yeah. is different. I mean, when you do a regular tour, you get up at about 4 or 5 o'clock in the afternoon. And you comfortably eat and everything. You just kind of hang out yeah. and get, you know, practice for a while, do the show, stuff like that. This is like a real quick thing. Up at noon and on stage two hours later, it's like... It's, it's a, like a weird catch-22 because if you get too late to sleep and you don't get enough sleep, you feel like beep, you know, during the day and you play less. But if you get a lot of sleep, you know, get 10 hours of sleep, which has happened a couple times, you wake up and you feel like really groggy for the first kind of first couple hours because you've slept so much. So it's like it's a no matter what happens, you lose. On this tour, I've gotten more sun than I have in the last two years. excited extra excited about this thing you know every show means so much you know it's like charge this huge charge has to be that way the kids are expecting that the kids are expecting so much and seeing us in two years they're expecting us to just kill them is the best. Why? Because they play the hardest metal there is. Metallica rules. I like it because they're just a bunch of guys having fun. I mean, we don't view ourselves as being much different than the audience. I mean, we just happen to be the guys up on stage, and they just happen to be the people in the audience. 
And we, I mean, we're musicians, but I'm sure there's a lot of other musicians out there. Uh, and that's something that we've always, always took into account. That, I mean, we're basically fans too. Mm. If we weren't there on the stage, we'd there, be there checking out the bands. Let's put it like this, right. when you see Metallica uh, in the hotel on the day off, they're dressed exactly like when you see them on stage. You know, and I dig that. I say, mm -hmm. you know, they don't go out there same thing. They're not putting on a show. They're going out there and playing music and doing just doing this thing. And in a way, they're, they're like my favorite band on the show too, only because it does, it just it reminds me just to kind of stay in touch with the street and with what really where you really at and not, and not get too showbiz. You know. might sound a bit arrogant, but Metallica is like a very inward-looking band. You know the kind of performance that come up and go, well, we're doing this for the kids, and we're playing for the people out there, and, you know, <laughs> rock and roll for the people. It's like, we're like exactly the opposite. We like look more inwards and are more worried about keeping ourselves satisfied and really doing what feels right to us. The last thing Metallica wants to be known as is is as a band that's you know preaching right. i mean we're not you know out to say hey we're a band with a message i mean the topics that that are involved with us are just things that that mean something to us personally i mean if you get the message you know that's cool because that's how we think if you don't get the message then you know well try to instill a sense of realism into our music. We don't like sing about love and partying. Can you picture us playing the music that we do and singing lyrics like, come on baby, come to my pad. We'll have a good time. would never change to cater to anyone else's mind. We would always stay the same and have people cater, you know, change for us. And I think that looking back on the last couple of years, the most satisfying thing is that that's really what's happened, you know. I think part of what Metallic is that there's always the, the thing that we can always go in whatever direction we want because we always set the terms ourselves, you know what I mean? So I don't want to sit here and go, we'll never do this, we'll never do that because if it feels right to us, then we're going to do it and we're not going to worry about what other people think of it. So that was cool, a little window into the world. It was, and, and the, the interview is cool because it jumps around between all the members and stuff and just their minus, thoughts on... Minus one Esquire. Exactly, some, minus him. field. But a bunch of great live footage, and you know, yeah. if you guys go online, if you want to actually watch the what we just played, and there's some really cool live footage from Monsters of Rock. Was it part of that clip, Sammy Hagar? Yeah, Sammy Hagar's in I there. I actually liked that part. I was like, mm -hmm. you know, well, this, Sammy, this point, guy Sammy, talk basically saying like they kind of kept me honest. You know well, Sammy I mean? points like, out kind of what the whole like mantra of Metallica's been is like, right. man, they're up there doing what they want. 
Like they're not like they're wearing the same clothes on stage. Yeah, yeah they totally. Oh, yeah, I love I love Sammy Hagar's comments. Yeah, it was great. The red like the Sammy redheaded Hag- stranger. I like Sammy Hagar era <laughs> Van Halen. Me too. For unlawful for unlawful carnal knowledge. F U C K. That was the one that had right now on it. Right? Fuke. No, right now was that was that one. Yeah. Oh, was that yeah. one right now? Yeah, red cover. That's a great record. So August 28th, Harvest of Sorrow, the single, is released in Europe. Besides, as we mentioned before, Bread Fan of the Prince. Cover illustration by our homie Pusshead. If you haven't heard, go check out our episode on Pusshead, where we cover his artwork and his, the visual uh, impact of his work with Metallica through the years. Now, I like the note that came with these, because we mentioned earlier like that they sound different and sound good. I'm boring Ethan over here. He's yawning. Oh my gosh, I'm fucking tired. It says, uh, the note that says, we later attempted to mix these songs properly, but somehow the energy and feel got lost along the way. So here they are in their rawest forms. Yeah, no energy at all on Bread Fan or The Prince. Yeah, no energy. Just a Just a dud. It is interesting though that as they as they mixed it, they began to lose what was special about it, mm-hmm. which I've been a part of that in all different ways, mm-hmm. songwriting sure, yeah. sometimes, or you know, like the more you sort of try to focus on a thing, the like shittier it gets. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. September sixth is the actual release date of Injustice for All. Harvester of Sorrow, Eye of the Beholder, one were the singles debuted at number six on the Billboard two hundred, went platinum nine weeks after its release, not Crazy. six as I said earlier. It's still Metallica's second best selling album. It charted for 83 weeks straight. By hmm. July 19th of the next year, it was double platinum, eight times platinum as of 2003. Holy shit. As, two, <laughs> as of 15 years ago? Oh, my God. Artwork created wow. by Steve Gorman, which was the idea of the, the Lady Justice with her boob out and the scale and the money. Yeah, that was all James, kind of, of course, in. James and Lars. Of course, the graffiti cover, you know. Yeah, the graffiti title. Um September 28th, they won a Billboard Music Award for the top music video cassette of the year, Cliff Amal, which we're going to do a whole episode on Cliff Amal. Right. Uh, October 30th, I Beholder single comes out in the U.S., Bread Fan is the B-side, another uh, Pusshead thing where we're the close-up of their eyes. Oh, that's a great one. Which I love I that. I love that artwork. And then our last sort of note here, December 6th, they the band shoots their first ever music video for the song One, and we'll cover this more in the, in the 1989 episode, but... Um, it was shot by Bill Pope and Michael Solomon in Long Beach, California. Of course, they're like basically in a big warehouse and mm-hmm. interspliced with the film footage of Johnny Got His Gun. Right. Coincidentally, I'm from Long Beach, and my neighbor directly across the street from me is named Bill Pope. And he shot the video. What if one. he was? Well, he just never told me. He's like, "Yeah, I'm a I'm a war vet." He sees you wear a Metallica shirt every day. He never and he's just like, it. he's like, he has no idea. Could you imagine? If I've been hanging out with him for the last nine years of my life as a neighbor, and then one day I happen to go like in his like garage and there's like a one poster. <laughs> he's like, he's like, hey man, thanks Bill for the memories. He's like, James. hey man, I've got a gift for you, man. I want you to come with me for a minute. He leads you into his garage. He opens a little tiny door in the corner of the garage, and there, bound to a chair, is James Hetfield, who he's, James! Kept, who he's kept as a slave for yeah. all those years. <laughs> Imagine that. But he let him. I guess he let him out to go on tour. Well, they got a double. Ah, uh, that's right. That's right. The original James, Marshall. like pre, it's like the Paul McCartney, like Paul's dead. Cons- it's hoax. a clone, right? Yeah, they got a lookalike to go on the black. That, why do you think the black album is so different? Oh, that's why uh, it's not actually James. Got it. James is a true locked in my neighbor's basement right now. Now, speaking of that, to to wrap it up, final <laughs> analysis. I think what's really important about 
and I think this is going to bleed a little bit into 1989. Sure. But I think what's really important about all this is it was them writing this record, recording it, and then performing it. Yeah. Where they were like, fuck this. We did it. Yeah. We we proved to the world that we're the fastest, most progressive, most yeah, right. commercial. And I think had they not done this record, we wouldn't have gotten what I think is so great about the Black Album. Yeah. Let's slow it down. Let's make <clears throat> the songs a little shorter. Yeah, take Let's a break from what we've been doing. Let's be more melodic. Right. Let's be more broad. Let's take you know the gospel of Metallica to the world. Yeah, totally. It's I just, agree. If you're one of the people who think that's a good thing, which I, I think the three of us are. I yeah. do, yeah, of course. This yeah. record is really important for that. Yeah. Well, they even talk about it in interviews where it's like, you know, we started playing these songs live and we get to like minute seven and, and we look people at the crowd are and they're, bored just, and they're and tired are and exhausted. Right. So it was just like all this inspiration to be like, hey, let's, you know, let's uh, shorten the songs. Let's make some slower songs. Let's try new things. And that, But that's what they've always done. They've always sat down and been like, all right, <clears throat> for this record, we're doing this. We're going to try something new. We don't care if people are going to be pissed because this is what Metallica is doing. You know, they've always played by their own rules. Lars and, talks about it in that interview. Yeah, I love exa- that. Exactly, yeah. It helps to have that fuck you attitude that they have sometimes. Right. Yeah. And I don't think it's a fuck you attitude that's like disrespectful to fans. No, I think it's totally. like, yeah. I, I think if you're like a, 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 not the old school term true, but like a true Metallica fan, you're going to go along for the ride. You may not dig it from time to time. Like, well, like and it com- it, totally. You know? And it comes full circle because what we like about them is that fuck you attitude. Yes. Yep. We exactly. like that, you know, like I love that when Maynard James Keenan talks about, uh, you know, put your phones away. One of the ways he says that he's like, it's a guided tour. Put your phone away. Yeah. Like I feel that way about Metallica in a way. It's like, I'm on your ride and I don't want to tell you the bent, how it should go up and mm-hmm. down and all around. Yeah. I want to see I'm what on you do. your ride. <laughs> right. Exactly. So take me there, you know? Yep. So what's the thing with a lot of music fans in general, whether it be Metallica or Pearl Jam or whatever band is it's very easy for us to sit back and be like, man, I wish they would do this. I wish they would do that. I wish this didn't sound like this. Mm-hmm. You know, but at the end of the day, that doesn't mean shit. It doesn't. <laughs> no, I mean, the band's going to do what they want to do. Now, if a band does do that, I think that's where you kind of get into, like, sellout territory. I agree. Where it's like, like, of course, it's good to listen to your fans, but if, like, that's all you did, we're like, mm-hmm. well, the fans want us to make another thrash record, so let's just do it. Like, to me, you're just selling out. You know, when people accuse Metallica yeah. on the Black Album of selling out, they didn't sell out. They did exactly what they wanted to do. On Justice, we may not like that there's no bass in that record, but they did what they wanted to do. Right, yeah. That was the goal, and they achieved it to the, to the liking or disliking of Jason. And, well, the sell—I yeah. mean, we've talked about this a lot—but the sell the sellout bullshit really in any genre for any band is just boring to me. Yeah, totally. It's completely fucking boring. And I mean, they say it best. Like James is like, people have been accused of selling out since 1984. Yeah. What, the, what are we going to do? Yeah. <laughs> At this point, we've been yeah. losing that battle since our second record. Right. Exactly. So if we got to lose people on the, I was trying to explain to my wife. You know, I was like, the Black Album. They may have lost some people. Oh no. Later, slab and it's slow. Oh, darn. They gained the whole fucking world, yeah, man. They gained like yeah. 50 <laughs> right. million fans no, after that. Uh, they're not sweating that. No. They're, they're flying on a fucking private jet with a big coiled snake on it. Yeah. They're fine. I don't think they're sad about that. No. Not at all. Well, this has been fun. Yeah. Thank you so much to our friend Brad Lyons from Single Podcast Theory. The Bone Crusher. The Bone Crusher. Is the Bone Crusher is here? The Bone Crusher is just came in he here. Crushes the bones. He just came in. I, I gave him a ride in my carpet to, to my house, HQ One, and uh, he just cru- he crushed bones of knowledge of Metallica tonight. If you guys like Pearl Jam or even if you dislike music, we encourage you to go listen to Single Podcast Theory. Yeah, it good is stuff. A, it is a great Pearl Jam podcast. Just two dudes shooting the shit. It's much like our show. Yeah, it's very conversational. Two very dudes, invitational. One podcast. 
Very invocational. Mm. Infocational. Info. Infowars. Alex Jones occasional. Just got pulled from like every media outlet, by the way, today. Yeah. We saw him in the airport the other day, and one of our crew guys is a huge fan. He was like, hey. He, he, he flipped out. He, it was it'd be like me seeing Paul McCartney. And he went up, and he, he, he did. He did. He, and he went up to him, and he said, uh, I want to thank you for all the work you do. For, he, and he, wow. goes, he goes, you're on the front lines. And he said, Alex Jones goes, they're after me, man. <laughs> they're af- they're after it. me, man. They're after me, man. I love it so much. He was like eating chicken wings in the fucking airport. Oh man, <laughs> he's. The, uh, yeah, we don't have to go down that road, but like, yeah, that's a great, a great story. We I, were laughing pretty hard. I love that was his response. They're after me, man. The front lines. They're after, well, and me, they man. were because literally, as of like the last twenty four hours, he got pulled from Facebook, YouTube. Well, of uh, course, they're after him. They're after him. I hope they find him. <laughs> uh, they got pulled from iTunes, Spotify. It's crazy. I wish he really was on the front. <laughs> Can we really put you in the vanguard for real? Like, not metaphorically? Like, actually do that? Like, can you really go to the front lines? Like, will you really? OMG. Having said all that, we apologize for that. Just to fin- Actually, whatever. I don't I'm know. I'm not apologizing for shit. Yeah. He is a t- fucking yeah. terrorist. <laughs> okay. Well, thanks for listening to the episode. We yeah. had a lot of fun. We're going to do the whole... Fu- we're going to burn every fucking year down with these dudes. Every year. All year, every year, we're going to do every year. All year, every year. This podcast is going to last forever. <laughs> well, I mean, we'll get to the point where there's one episode a year, but it'll be 2025 that year. Well, needless to say, we're really grateful for anyone out there who listens out in Metal Gear Podcast land. If you want to go leave us the iTunes review, you can. It's easy. If not, don't worry about it. If you dig the show and you think the show has value and you're able to, do consider going and getting on the ride over at Patreon. We've got the cover hour Black and Volume 2 coming out at some point in the fall. At some point in the future. Um, and there's all sorts of cool shit over there and it really, you know, it's just a way to ensure that the show can be ad free mm-hmm. and that we can do cool things like make merch and, and, and uh, make EPs and yeah. travel and come see you guys and all that that's stuff. Right. So, yeah. uh, I mean, we flew, we flew the bone crusher up here from Birmingham. That's right. Off your, from your money on the coiled snake, private the coiled, yeah. nice the black helicopter. Album. Yeah. We, we were like, wow, we've got this much money in Patreon. Let's get the coiled snake helicopter. It did cost about 20 grand to, in, yeah, to but install it's worth a, it. a it's helicopter fine. pad on your roof. That's true. Yeah. It's up there. Let alone the, the fuel. When you take off to go home tonight, you're definitely waking up my wife and she's going to be pissed, but it's worth it for this episode. You didn't get the stealth. Oh crap! We don't have that many patrons. Oh okay. Yeah. You guys maybe get there. Maybe That's next fine. year. You Do you want to say anything about about your show or anything right before we split? No, no, no. I just uh, thanks for having me again. Okay. Seriously. Okay. Of course. Of course, Bradley. Single podcast theory. There it is. I don't know how much of an overlap there is. I think there is. The Venn diagram. I mean, who knows? I don't know. Pearl but, Jam, but no, no, who likes Metallica and Pearl Jam? I know I do, but dude, who does? There's three right here. We talk about. I'm t- I'm too tired to joke more. I know. I'm I mean, just realized. Let's just go to bed. Yeah. Should we just call just it? I think y'all need to go to your your respective bedrooms. I'll edit this shit. We're gonna put it out for the fans, and then I'm gonna go to bed. How's that sound? <laughs> Do we all like live here like hard days night? Do we all like live in your house? Oh, I gotta go to my bedroom though. I gotta go brush my teeth in our community bathroom first. <laughs> Dang it! The bone crusher's taking a shit. <laughs> Crushing that porcelain. Uh, all right well thanks everyone for listening we do appreciate yeah, you all we'll, we love uh, you. we'll see you on the fucking flip-flop good god peace adios Bye. if you were our advisor what would you say then i would say delete that